Welcome to Day Zero Update for January 8th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Ologi. And I'm Brandon Perkins. Yeah, it is a new year. Yep. Uh, new podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll be uh, talking about Game of the Year stuff. Oh, yeah. End. We got some story stuff, uh, mm-hmm. new stuff before that. Uh, not too much there, but uh, we'll be talking about our top 10 games of the year, both the site and our individual ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get to any of that stuff, uh, we'll be talking about what we've been playing over the past couple of weeks here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll kick it off here uh, with the big thing being that I got a Steam Deck. Good. Uh, used Christmas money I got to get some Steam gift cards to take a chunk of what uh, I'd be paying off of that thing mm-hmm. uh, for. Uh, purchased that, I think, before New Year's, but it didn't get shipped till, like, the, the Monday after. Mm-hmm. Uh, got it here, let's see, it's been on Thursday, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I had the day off, so I could uh, wait around for it. And got it and checked it out. It's a pretty cool device. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely one weird thing initially is that uh, I'm pretty good switching with between controllers, uh, you know, between PlayStation, Xbox, and the Switch, and not really missing a beat. Um, but uh, switching over to this thing, my uh, my memory, my hand memory stuff immediately started hitting the B button a lot mm-hmm. to try to go through menus because uh, that's the only thing I've used like that is the Switch, where that is mm-hmm. where. They have their A button at. That took yep. me a little bit to work that off. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the one issue. Well, there's a couple of issues. Uh, I started downloading a bunch of stuff, mainly all the things that were verified in my library, which is mm-hmm. maybe about a tenth of it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, not too much uh, in the way of deck verified things. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that stuff was smaller indie games, uh, smaller stuff. So that was pretty good. I got the $650 edition that has the 512 uh, gigabits SSD inside of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had plenty of space for all of that. Started downloading some of the bigger stuff to it. Left some space because I was going to check out the emulation stuff for it, see how that all works. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the games I started was Elden Ring that immediately just felt off uh, the way you play it on this thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't seen a Steam Deck, it's kind of like a Switch, except instead of the uh, the stick and D-pad and face buttons and all that kind of being spread out on the sides, they're all in the top right and top left corner, mm-hmm. essentially, uh, as well as the, the two shoulder buttons. And you have two uh, back buttons, sort of where you're... Uh, you know, your fingers would be gripping onto the sides mm. as well as two touch pads and everything's kind of huddled up towards the top of the machine. Uh, so when I was playing a little bit of, of uh, Elden Ring. It was, it just felt off enough and it also was running at like 30 FPS mm-hmm. at best. And I was like, this isn't a great way to play it uh, for me at least. Uh, so I ended up deleting that, making better use of the, the space uh, for that. Uh, but yeah, I had a couple games that just wouldn't download when I was initially starting to download stuff. 
mm-hmm. uh, which I think the solution was just to restart it. Mm-hmm. And then those games started working, uh, those download attempts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a bit of a weird thing. Uh, did have one game that downloaded, but it refused to like finish or whatever, just having a weird issue that sometimes happens on Steam games. Tried everything I could to figure out how to get it to stop like messing up in the whatever the finishing of the download install process, but it just wouldn't, so I just deleted it. Um, it'll try again another time. Uh, but then I got the emulation stuff uh, mostly working. Uh, I used Emudeck. I would just go to emudeck.com on the desktop mode, and that kind mm-hmm. of installs a bunch of emulators uh, for use on the Steam Deck. And then you can mm. uh, get your ROMs on there and all that. Mm. Uh, and that took a bit, mostly because... Uh, I got ROMs off of archive.org uh, where they have a bunch of that stuff uh, and trying it out. And the initial process for getting it all set up was kind of frustrating because it's yeah. uh, first off, Linux is a weird, weird enough OS to try to use. It's not a hundred percent different from windows. It's just different enough to be a little annoying yeah. as I was trying to save uh some of these ROMs into the specific uh, folders that Emudeck creates for the different platforms so it can sort of know where to check for that stuff for each of the emulators. And uh, I believed I was setting them into those files in those folders, but it just saved it in a different area. So I had to manage that and copy them over to the right place uh, mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, and then I had to unzip them, which took a bit for uh, some of the some of the bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a process for setting it up to recognize all this stuff mm-hmm. uh, that I think was how it was supposed to go. And it seems like it worked. And uh, it was kind of showing that it worked for like one of the platforms, not the others. It was you know, all this weird stuff. Uh, but then last night I sort of uh, went back to the, the Steam Deck mode uh, out of the desktop mode. And it seemed to be working all right from there. Uh, I do not know if there's a way for safe states and all that stuff to work. I haven't invested too much time into figuring out all that stuff once it starts playing, but I booted up the the TMNT GBA game just to try it out. Mm-hmm. It all worked, and it seemed to work pretty well, yeah. so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so maybe G- GBA games don't necessarily need to be blown up this much. Mm-hmm. They're not made for screens this big. Yeah. Uh, but it still looked pretty good. It's just probably some of the games don't scale up as well. Mm-hmm. And there are probably things I can do to fine-tune that stuff to make it look better or whatever, but I haven't, I'll look into that stuff later. Mm. Just kind of wanted to get it initially starting up. Uh, so that was all right. Uh, but I did play some other games on the Steam Deck I've uh, been playing mm. some American Truck Simulator, which works pretty well on there. Uh, only the it's one that's not verified, but it's also in sort of the ah, it works mostly, mm. uh, mainly because you know you might have some points where you need to type in text. You have to use the shortcut it has for bringing up the mm. the keyboard, and then like there's some small text you can find in there mm. uh, at some points, which is not great, but it's also not. Too huge of a deal because most of you're paying attention to 
the GPS for where to go in that game. Uh, so that's kind of the only real issues. It'll it nicely it'll tell you a list of things like here's sort of the issues that we've found or the are going to be potential thorns in your side if you're going to try and play this, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, so and a lot of them show like oh this one has a launcher and that might not play too well on this thing mm. on a Steam Deck. Uh, so that's something that gets into in the way for some people. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's been all right for me. So I've been playing some more of that, uh, finished up. They have two events going on right now, a winter one and one for Texas for the Texas DLC. Mm. I've been mostly driving around through Texas doing jobs, uh, for that and got the winter one done. Cause the winter one doesn't have any limitations to it for like mm. how long or anything like that. It's just like, ah, just deliver these, uh, special gift trailers to different locations. Uh, that kind of stuff. And the Texas one is for doing jobs of at least a hundred miles uh, between different cities. Mm. Uh, so you can't just go back and forth between two cities over and over again. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and they've done a good job with Texas here because they've captured how Texas is kind of a flat, boring state mm. for much of it. Cause it's basically a desert, a uh, flat desert for the most part. Mm. Uh, it's not like uh, a lot of the other states, uh, states in the west there's mountainous regions and all this kind of stuff that is different and interesting as you go around mm-hmm. texas doesn't have as much of that yeah uh but they do have a lot of flair in there there's uh some of the overpasses have like the texas flag painted on it because it's texas mm-hmm. they like to act like they're the only state that cares about their their flag and all that so mm-hmm. uh that's all around. They also have a weird highway system, uh, if it's accurate to this, uh, where you have your highway and then you have like roads that run perpendicular in cities mm-hmm. uh, that kind of just go around it uh, mm-hmm. constantly. So if you're on one side and you need to get going, you know, the opposite direction than what you can access from that side, then you have to big do a big U turn through this road, and then eventually it merges onto the highway. It's not like a normal. Uh, highway system like I'm used to where you just have the highway and then on ramps and off ramps that you get onto. These are like dedicated roads that run alongside it that have forks in it to get on or get off there. And you just kind of merge onto this road uh, versus, you know, running into a stop point or either stop sign or red light or whatever and intersection. So yeah, there's some, some neat stuff here. I've been throughout much of the state uh, Dallas and Fort Worth and Austin and San Antonio, El Paso. I think Dalhart is the one I've been, which is up in that top part of Texas. Uh, so yeah, that's that's been nice. It works pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do adjust some graphical options because uh, yeah, the system uh, battery life is highly dependent upon the type of game you're playing. Uh, so if you're playing graphically intensive stuff. It may last an hour or two, uh, but uh, you, if you can turn down graphical options and that kind of stuff uh, for the sort of mid-range games, like I would say probably the limit for type of stuff you should play on this if you want a decent battery life is like uh, early PS4-ish kind of games uh, and back, uh, then you'll probably have a pretty decent battery life. It's like three to five hours. Something like that's mm-hmm. been a lot of what I've been 
getting though I don't play it enough to get below 50 usually. And sometimes I'll just be sitting here playing on it and just have it plugged in the entire time. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's been that kind of experience. Uh, one of the other games I've been playing, Mixolumia, uh, which yeah. is a puzzle game. It's kind of a, a unique-ish kind of puzzle game in yeah. that it kind of reminds me of... Uh, I think on the GBA, there was like a, a cool little like bit series... Uh, I forget what the the official title was. That um, it was like this series, yeah, Bit Generations yeah. game. So they only released in Japan. Outside of a couple of them, got re released on the Wii Shop at that point. Uh, a couple years later, uh, but there's these series of games made by a bunch of smaller developers. Uh, like a bunch of them were made by Skip Limited, mm-hmm. uh, but there was one that was made by Q Games. Uh, but the one I was thinking of, I think it's called Dial Hex. Uh, that got re-released as Roto Hex on the Wii shop, where that one's kind of has these uh, hex-based like triangles. Uh, or not even necessarily triangles, uh, but you're moving around this like grid of triangles that you're kind of rotating yeah. through on that one. Uh, but here it's kind of more Tetris-like, mm-hmm. where you get a a diamond shaped of these four uh, cubes that you're dropping into yeah. this diamond shaped grid. Uh, and so, you know, how you place them, they're going to fall differently. Uh, uh, that kind of stuff. They'll break up uh, if you drop them the right way, but you're trying to get, I think, at least three of the same type yeah. of blocks next to each other and they will disappear. And so you can kind of get a very, uh, like, Puyo Puyo type of. Uh, combo system going. Right. If you get them dropping together uh, over and over again to create some great high combo chains, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a very small little game, but it's a really cool game. I've uh, been playing that a good bit so far, so that's that's been a fun little you know lo-fi kind of game to play on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one I've been playing is Boxelgram, mm. uh, which is a uh, it's essentially Picross 3D but mm-hmm. uh, made by somebody that isn't Picross 3D. Mm. Uh, so, uh, or the Nintendo and uh, Jupiter. Uh, it's made by an indie studio. And yeah, it's pretty much that, except, you know, you don't need touch controls for it. Right. Uh, so you're kind of uh, doing the same kind of thing where you're rotating it. Uh, you're rotating this block of uh, little cubes that, mm. you know, have numbers on some of them. Uh, you know, zero means like nothing in this row or column uh, stays. So you can go and just, uh, you know, destroy them all. Um, go through and like mark blocks that like, okay, this one's safe. You know, just whittle it down until you have like a finished thing. And then it'll fill it up with color and show you like, oh, this is this thing. You know, uh, though I don't think anything here animates like the Picross 3D games would. Or some mm-hmm. of that stuff. So that's uh, the only real knock against it is there's no real extra production value to it, but it's pretty good otherwise uh, yeah. for that. So if you like Picross 3D, this seems to be like the only clone of that versus there's a billion Picross clones out there, especially on yeah. Steam. Uh, though not many of them are uh, Steam Deck verified. Like I have a handful like that. So there's that. Uh, 
And that's been pretty much what I've been playing on my Steam Deck. Though I've been just setting it up a lot over the past few days, kind of getting it all mm-hmm. into a pretty good place. I think the only thing I really have to do at this point is uh, try to get a, a micro SD card to put in it. And I can just put all my uh, ROMs and uh, maybe extra games on that. Mm-hmm. Free up space for the internal storage. Uh, though the ROMs aren't taking up that much space, so I don't know. Uh, let's see, other things I've been playing. Vampire Survivors did a stream mm-hmm. for New Year's Eve on this. Uh, mm-hmm. Started about 8.30ish. And that's a, that's a good game when you need to. need something that will... Uh, eat up time. Yeah, There's a good run of that game in most of the modes is 30 minutes. Mm. Uh, so if you uh, get that far, you'll just eat up. You know, uh, if I started at 8:30, it'd be about three and a half hours. I went a little bit over, so about four hours. That's eight runs, eight solid runs. Obviously, I didn't get eight mm. solid runs out of it, but I got got a good chunk every time. Yeah, uh, but yeah, played the the new map. Uh, I forget, it's like Mount Moonspell mm-hmm. is the new map, which has a bunch of unique areas, which contrasts with the, all the maps in the game prior, which are all kind of just repeating patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first one's a big field that just kind of repeats and just randomly generates, you know, uh, breakables to drop power-ups and such for you mm-hmm. on, as enemies spawn around you. And Mount Moonspell kind of has a... a an entire map uniquely designed in each area. And yeah, this, uh, this one also comes with some new characters and new weapons as well. So you can have to do this progression loop where essentially you play with your first character and I get to play for 15 minutes to unlock their weapon. And then you have to do an evolution with that weapon to unlock the next character, then play 15 minutes with that character, survive with that character to get to the, the next weapon, you know, and so on and so forth for the few, characters that are in this and weapons yeah and the second one's tough because it's it's an old lady i guess the grandma for the the family that's tied to this map Mm -hmm. and she moves pretty slowly yeah but once you kill enough enemies she goes into like super saiyan mode Mm -hmm. and just buzzes through all the enemies around oh yeah uh starts fucking shit up so if you're trying to get evolutions and such and especially for some of the maps where they have uh, certain items that are going to show up in certain places, you're hoping for those things so you can get across the map a lot faster mm-hmm. uh, than the way the normal characters do. So there's some neat stuff in that DLC. Definitely worth checking out if you enjoy Vampire Survivors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other game I played, I streamed a couple times for this, Tactics Ogre Reborn. Uh, this is the latest edition of, I think, the second Super Nintendo game for the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a... It's weird trying to read into the lore of this because when it starts up this game, it tells you it's episode seven in the saga of Tactics yeah. Ogre. Yeah. And I think they've only done five, six, and seven. Yeah. So far as episodes. Uh and you can probably see where the style of this game comes from because the the director for this, uh, an art director, worked on Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh left to go to Square Enix because this was an Enix game. Mm-hmm. Uh, then left to go to Squaresoft to make Final Fantasy Tactics. And then one acquired the other, and then both became part of the same company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, these two games are very much the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Um, uh, Tactics Ogre Reborn adds like voice acting for 
uh, some of the, the dialogue stuff uh, and sort of some new production value stuff to it to uh, up-res it for, you know, 1080p, uh, 4K play uh, screens, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it does a pretty good job presenting its story mm. and all that. Um, I basically got to the point of uh, I beat the first boss, which uh, I kind of ran into a buzzsaw because it's a necromancer. Mm. So it means they can kind of just keep spawning enemies in. And I let my... Uh, uh, my guy that can do exorcisms to destroy the bodies of uh, these killed, you know, reanimated bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got killed at a certain point, and then people just started going down. It's like, all right, screw the plan of just killing everybody and getting to the boss. Just make a mad dash for the boss because he's not that powerful. Yeah. Uh, and then along the way, you can pick up these cards that will boost up stats. And so mm-hmm. I had one, like the the main guy whose name is Denim. Not spelled like the genes mm. material, but it's it's pronounced the same way. Uh, he had a couple of the power cards for the weapons, so he just mm-hmm. ran in, took like two attacks, and killed the guy and saved the rest of my crew that was about to die. Because mm. uh, once a character goes down, you don't have any way to revive them. Because I had I had enough of the revival items, I just did not give one to everybody because I'd not run into a fight where that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was like, all right, everybody's getting one of everything. We're not screwing around with any of this. Mm. Uh, and then in my next fight, I didn't have to deal with any necromancy stuff, but I forgot to take out the uh, that guy. So then mm. I, he just became a healer because he has no real attack yeah. power. He just does like one point of damage when enemies have, you know, 400 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't screw around with the HP early on. Mm. Uh, everybody has a good amount. It's not like you start with like 30 HP uh, for anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. So. I do like that if all else fails, uh, you could just throw rocks at people. Yep. So it just does one HP of damage, so it's not worthwhile. But it's like, ah, this adds up. And I had one scenario show up where I had somebody left with one HP, and I was like, all right, throw in a rock. Mm. Take them out, the the weakest weapon in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think any of the, any of the non-offensive weapons do one HP of damage, the staves and that kind of stuff. Uh but yeah, that's that's a really good game. I'm looking forward to put some more time into it. Uh, but yeah, when it goes on sale, it was on sale for the holidays. So that was the reason I ended up picking it up uh, for that. But yeah, that's a that's a good game. It's, there's a lot to it. I can sense. I was looking up the the way that was all set up because I knew there was choices at a certain point. And there's four chapters. Uh, but mm-hmm. there are branching points to get alternate versions of chapters. But I believe after you beat it once, you can kind of go back to inflection points and make other choices mm-hmm. and such. So you can kind of experience everything if you want. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a good one of those uh, tactical RPGs. So mm. that's been pretty much it for me. How about you, Brandon? Uh, well, I got myself a PS5, so I basically been more or less playing a bunch of stuff on that. Um, I re-started um, my PS Plus account, so I uh, started playing stuff on that, including uh, Returnal, which is one of the reasons I really wanted a PS5 was to play this game. Um, it's yeah. basically kind of, it's basically a game where you're playing this woman who's like a space 
spacefarer and her ship crash lands on this planet and she seems to be like locked in some sort of like groundhog day loop every time she dies it just sends her back to the beginning but every time she comes back uh the overall landscape of the place changes um and like over time you get little bits and pieces of like what's going on on this planet what all these ruins are and why you're there in the first place um and yeah it's legitimately like really fun um people will sometimes like you know compare it to like say i've heard some people like say like it's dark souls eh, it's not really dark souls hard um but it can be very challenging uh but otherwise, you know, it's a it's a really fun game, and it's legitimately addictive to play. Um, so I've been playing that. I also played and beat Biomutant, which you know on a on a new on a current on a new gen console looks great, but it was surprisingly short, um, considering all the stuff that there is in the game. Um, it wasn't as bad as people had said it was, but it definitely had some issues. Um, still quite enjoyable, though. Uh, and I also started playing Neon White, which, of course, is the uh, game that is, like, part visual novel and part, like, FPS speedrun, where you're given these little, basically, more or less linear levels where you are having to go through each level, uh, kill all the enemies inside, and reach the goal as fast as you possibly can. Um, and how this is done is that you get access to these cards at every level, and each card comes with, you know, the weapon that it represents, and also its secondary ability, which can do things like, you know, make you, let you double jump, or let you, like, dash forward, or, you know, do, like, a dive bomb attack that destroys everything in range, stuff like that. Um, also equally a lot of fun and also legitimately funny at times too. Um, but other than that, I also got a couple of games for my Nintendo Switch. Um, one of them is Tune 3, which is a game I had played before. And, you know, I have it on my top 10, which we're going to get to later. Um, but yeah, I really love how Nintendo more or less has gone all in on the sort of darker undertones of what the Splatoon universe is, because in this case, it's not like a secondary thing. It's actually like part of the overall plot, because you end up getting uh, thrown into this place called Alterna, which is like a uh, biodome type settlement that was made by a bunch of humans after the apocalypse and like you get like the various computer logs from Alterna and it like tells you the backstory and everything and it's just it's it's great. <laughs> and I also started playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3 as well and already just from the beginning this game is like yeah I'm into this because the basic sort of idea it gives is that you've got these two colonies more or less or they're called martial nations in the beginning who are basically caught in a forever war because they need the life force of the opposing army to like power their technology and i'm like okay that's odd but i'm gonna go with it 
And then it gets into, it's like, uh, first thing you recognize almost immediately is the characters involved are, like, all from, like, different, uh, you know, different species of people from, like, the first two Xenoblade games. And you start seeing, like, aspects of the worlds from the first two Xenoblade games in the world itself, uh, including, like, some monsters as well that you encounter. And it's like, okay, so I'm guessing what happened here is that, you know, the you know the worlds from Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2 somehow collided and sort of morphed into this, you know, this new universe and everything. And I'm already seeing, like, the queen of this particular uh, country that your current party is part in looks extremely similar to one of the party members from the first Xenoblade game. And it's like, okay, this is going to be very interesting to see where this goes. Um, also, overall, they've simplified the battle system a good deal, so it's a lot easier to navigate. Um, but also, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been playing. All right, so, yeah, let's get to uh, the rest of the show here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a new month, mm. uh, so we have new... Stuff for your subscription services, mm-hmm. uh, mainly PlayStation Plus and games with gold. Uh, for a reason, Game Pass hasn't really added much this month, mm-hmm. and they haven't put out a news update in uh, about three weeks, I think. No, maybe mm-hmm. more than that, maybe four weeks uh, for what they're adding. I think they've added like two random games to mm-hmm. the service this week. Yeah, Stranded Deep and Mortal Shell Enhanced Edition. But as far as like what they're planning here before uh, the Persona games and Monster Hunter Rise are showing up, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but for PlayStation Plus Essential and Up subscribers uh, for January, mm-hmm. there is a pretty cool set of three here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order uh, for PS4 and PS5. Uh, mm-hmm. This game people should definitely check out. Yeah. Hopefully, I hope they they fixed a bunch of the glitches by now but uh they've made it run better for the ps5 mm-hmm. uh if you have it on ps4 it's a free upgrade uh but here on playstation plus you can also get both uh yeah the ps5 version runs better i don't know if they fixed that many of the bugs it's still a little mm. janky and all that mm-hmm. but uh it runs better so that's uh kind of the best thing about it there and looks mm. a little better uh so you kind of get that for that so yeah, if you're interested in Survivor, mm-hmm. uh, check out this game. Yeah. And you'll see why people are excited for Survivor. Because mm-hmm. uh, somehow EA made a Star Wars Souls-like, and it worked out really well. Yeah. Well, partly it's because they let uh, Respawn just do what they wanted to do and not try to screw with it. Yeah. Because uh, Respawn Entertainment basically saved EA's ass with, with uh, Apex, so... They were like, you know, and keep in mind, this was like after the shit that had gone down with Star Wars uh, Battlefront 2. And they were like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to, we're not going to get too involved here. Just you guys do what you want to do. And they ended up making arguably the best, you know, Star Wars video game tie-in in pretty much the series history. You know, only dwarfed by, you know... Knights of the Old Republic, probably. 
Yeah, the that game's not that accessible at this point. No, it's very Knights of the Old Republic is very has not aged terribly well um yeah. gameplay wise. But uh this game, however, is absolutely amazing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Next one up here, Fallout 76. Uh, surprising to get a Bethesda game in this, but uh, Fallout 76 at this point, after a bunch of work being done to it, is a pretty decent uh, live service game mm-hmm. uh, where you're playing you know, a lot of the, the same kind of Fallout stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but with... Uh, uh, you know, up to I think like twenty four of the people on a server mm-hmm. on a map that is much bigger than Fallout Four was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're kind of left here on devices, and generally most people don't try to fuck with you mm-hmm. when I played it. Uh, though, especially early on, up to I think level five, uh, they can't do anything to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, sort of a, a physical barrier to that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty solid game. It's just it's more action oriented since it's an online game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go into, uh, you know, any sort of slowdown mode. It's more mm-hmm. of just a lock on here. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a pretty decent game. Mm-hmm. So that's one to check out. Uh, and the third game here for PS4 and PS5 is Axiom Verge Two, a game that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great follow up to the original game. That uh, I would say does some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, while the first game is more Metroid-like, this one's more Castlevania in terms of focusing on melee weapons mm-hmm. uh, to your uh, character's abilities. And uh, they did some cool stuff with the hacking this time around, whereas the, the original, it was just kind of a beam that puts enemies into their alternate state. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, it's more of a, you hack this uh, an enemy and you have on many of them like multiple things you can do. Yep. You can change their like allegiance state mm-hmm. or make them they're carrying something. You can make them just drop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that to the bosses and fight them without actually attacking them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go into boss rooms, you're not locked in. So if you're just exploring, you run into a boss room like, oh, shit, I'm not ready for this. Just leave. Mm-hmm. You'll be fine. Uh, it's it's a nice exploratory uh, one of those kind of games. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know. Most are all about the combat, and this still is a lot about combat, but mm-hmm. you have a lot of opportunities to uh, not engage in combat if you don't want to. There's also a lot more, there's also more like overall focus on the storytelling as well. Yeah, because you're playing a new character from the original, mm-hmm. uh, a woman that is sort of running a big tech company who mm-hmm. gets pulled into this other civilization's world. Yeah. And uh, uh, kind of not stuff. just that, but like a middle-aged Indian woman, which is extremely rare. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, the Tom Happ has talked about uh, there being a third game that will bring the two together. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh yeah, and the other cool thing is instead of like a ball morph mode, it's a like drone bot you can mm-hmm. run around with, and your character just sort of goes into a kneeling state as you put your uh, you know your mental energy into it to control mm-hmm. it and that can go into like an alternate map. Yeah. It's like in the, the background of the world mm-hmm. essentially that has its own places to explore and all that. Also other big differences, you get a lot of like your basic functions pretty early on in this yeah. game, in this game, uh, unlike kind of like the predecessor where a lot of it was kind of spread out more yeah. Metroid like here you get a lot of it pretty quickly from the beginning. Yeah. 
yeah, so that is a really cool game. Definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three are pretty cool. Worth checking mm-hmm. out. Uh, especially uh, for someone like Brandon, who has a PS5 now. Yep. Uh, you can check out Star Wars and see how much better it runs. Yeah. Uh, let's see. For games with gold, uh, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, continue to have this weird existence where they're just putting up like $20 indie games. Not that that's a bad thing. They're just, neither one of these is like enticing in a way to get mm-hmm. people excited about getting access to them. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the one that's available now, Iris fall available yeah. until the 31st. Uh, this looks like a, I was from PM studios who do mm. uh, music games and such. Uh, they are doing, let's see, this looks like a puzzle platformer of sorts, mm-hmm. dealing with light and shadow. Uh, yeah, as it says here, switch between light and shadow and pass through the two realities as you experience unique, interesting, interlacing mm-hmm. of black and white as well as both 2D and 3D. So, yeah, it seems neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's one you can check out. Uh, the other one available on the 16th, Autonauts. Mm-hmm. I believe this is like a a factory uh, kind of thing. Oh yeah, this uh, yeah, travel the universe, creating settlements on uninhabited plant planets with the sole goal of setting worlds in motion through the power of automation. So yeah, you're coming to these worlds, setting up farms and such, uh, with the ultimate goal of like setting up a production assembly line, factory mm-hmm. stuff, kind of that that whole kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. To automate everything, uh, so yeah, it has a very kind of blocky look to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I've been kind of keeping an eye on whenever it goes on sale, but haven't never pulled the trigger on. So that one seems all right as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, neither one like compares at all to any of the games that are on PlayStation Plus, and that seems like a, a strategy that Microsoft has for this service. Yep. Um, yeah, let's get to the rest of the news here. Uh, this game is out now. There's a follow-up to Baba Is You, mm-hmm. uh, made by the creator uh, Hempoli, or also known as RV Tekari. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game is... What is this game called? I don't think they even put the name here. Uh, Baba Files Taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the follow-up where this time around... Uh, Baba needs help doing their taxes. Uh, so you are kind of going through and messing with them. Uh, and yeah, you have the deadline of finishing these taxes by the end of the night. Uh, yeah, the controls, let's see, mouse, left mouse button, right and draw. Uh, so yeah, you're kind of writing a bunch of weird stuff, I guess. Uh, it's on itch.io as a free game. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the name your own price game, so you can get it for free or give them some money, uh, whatever. But it looks really cool. Uh, it's a a neat little uh, follow up thing uh, that I guess takes about ten minutes to, f- to finish. So mm-hmm. something quick you can do and check it out, see how it goes. Uh, so that's cool, uh, especially compared to the Baba's You, which is a very tough puzzle game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, let's get to our next story here. CES happened this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sony had their showcase uh, for various things. I think they did a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff about uh, their new camera stuff that they're doing for mm-hmm. 
uh, movie studios and all that stuff to use, which looks like GLaDOS, but uh, a camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can kind of drop down from the sky kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty neat. They shut off a little bit of the Gran Turismo movie, uh, which has like David, David Harbour in it and mm-hmm. Orlando Bloom and like some surprising talent in it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, after that, Jim Ryan came out, started talking about PlayStation stuff, and announced that Gran Turismo 7 is getting PlayStation VR 2 support mm-hmm. as a free update for the launch of PlayStation VR, uh, which is big news. Mm-hmm. People have been kind of anticipating this as Polyphony has been kind of coy about talking about VR mm-hmm. since uh, Gran Turismo Sport was a pretty popular VR game. Mm-hmm. But also was a bit limited uh, in terms of like being limited to like exhibition races, not really be able to do like career stuff or anything like that. Uh, this seems like uh, from the little bit that we know, mm-hmm. uh, which is mostly just that it's coming and like a couple of screenshots that it seems like it's going to be uh, mostly a full access to the game itself. It seems mm-hmm. like so. Hopefully that is the case. We'll have to wait for further details, but. Uh, that is great news for PlayStation VR at launch. Mm-hmm. Another big title there. And uh, yeah, also got announced was that Beat Saber is also coming to PlayStation VR 2. Uh, not too surprising. It's one of the biggest VR games in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest ones for PlayStation VR. And makes sense that uh, Sony would want to get a deal done to get it onto PlayStation VR 2. Mm-hmm. And a, a very popular game to their uh, platform. It's not going to be available at launch. Uh, be sometime later, uh, maybe this later this year, or maybe next year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like the Gran Turismo Seven announcement, that was about as much as we got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's see what else here. Cult of the Lamb got yeah. some news that they're getting a major content update sometime this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, no date on it. Not even that much in the way of details, but mm-hmm. uh, we do know they're going to add some more depth to the combat mm. uh, with the introduction of heavy attacks, uh, which you activate by holding down the attack button. Mm-hmm. And these are more than just like a version of your normal attack that does more damage. Uh, these heavy attacks have a unique effect uh, for each of the weapons. Mm. So the sword's heavy attack smashes the ground, doing an explosion of damage that hardens any enemy caught in its range. Uh, meanwhile, the dagger creates a line of knives that fall from the sky. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty neat uh, for that. So there's also a bunch of other stuff. Seems like I have some difficulty stuff to it. Uh, new difficulty options. Uh, as well as some accessibility stuff. So maybe some ways of fine-tuning the difficulty, the damage you take and do, and all that kind of stuff. Because some others yeah. have done. As well as some quality of life features. So... Uh, that's cool. It's definitely some stuff that that game needs. So, hopefully, it won't take too long. But let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I think they are specifically working on some bug fixes for the early part of the year. So there's no, it's probably not coming in the next few weeks or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you go. Uh, let's see. Also happening here. Uh, this will be happening here in uh, a couple of weeks. Hitman Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that own that will be getting all of the maps from the first two games mm-hmm. uh, for free. 
Uh, so if you have not purchased any of the expansion passes for it to get that those maps uh, in, yeah. added to your game, uh, this will be a free way to get them all. Because I think for the uh, the new uh, freelancer mode, mm. uh, they want everybody to have access to all the maps so that you know you're not limited in the sort of missions you can take on. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a good uh, consumer-facing way to do it. Um, yeah, they are also going to rename Hitman 3 as Hitman World of Assassination mm. uh, to reference the sort of tagline the the series has had uh, here with uh, World of Assassination being kind of the the nickname for what mm-hmm. this this arc of the Hitman series has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, a cool way because yeah, it's been a little bit tough to explain how to get all the content in this game. Yeah. Uh, Cause you have Hitman three, which has its own maps and all that. And they sell these passes that give you the maps from the first game. I forget if that one had any, pa- any paid content. The second one did. Mm-hmm. So like there's two separate passes, one for the, the core group of maps and uh, another one for the other uh, paid maps that came out later, uh, that kind of stuff. So, they're just kind of making that all simple and just say like, Oh, if you got Hitman three, you've got everything that you need mm-hmm. to start the freelancer mode and enjoy all the content. Mm-hmm. I believe they're still going to sell a deluxe pack DLC that has all the, uh, seven deadly sins stuff to it, which was just remixed versions of the Hitman three maps, mm-hmm. uh, for this new little campaign thing. That you mm. could do in some extra costumes and such. Uh, so that's cool mm. uh, for that. So yeah, that'll be thirty bucks to get. Uh, but Hitman: World of Assassination will be available for seventy bucks uh, when that is going live. Mm-hmm. Uh, though, if you had, I think it's been on sale for the holiday sales on all the platforms. So mm. you get it now for cheaper. And then, you know, enjoy the added content when that comes. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Getting, I, I assume that'll be done for January 26th when Freelancer Mode comes out, that update. Yeah. Uh, but they say also that Hitman 1 and 2 are getting delisted from mm. all the platforms as a result. So if you still want those, just go grab them while yeah. you can. Because those are also great games. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make some changes with the uh, with Hitman Three to add in the new stuff that that game adds. So this will get a bit of a unique uh, experience, and yeah, another new way to play those maps. So mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Cool stuff hit- happening with Hitman. Mm-hmm. And yeah, here we go. Yeah, this uh, this is also from the the PlayStation CES mm-hmm. little showcase. Uh, Jim Ryan announced that they had surpassed 30 million units sold uh, and seems to believe that the uh, the PS5 supply should be improving a bunch over the over this year, mm-hmm. uh, which has already has been pretty decent. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty readily available on like PlayStation Direct and Best Buy in a number of places, just uh, sometimes will run out, but gets resupplied. 
fairly often, so mm-hmm. uh, it's been much easier to get one, but it seems like uh, 2023 should be a much easier time to get access to that stuff. Uh, much like you have been able to benefit from some of that. Mm. Uh, yeah, 30 million is a good number for mm-hmm. how much they've had to deal with shortages and such. So, yep. Yeah, that's uh, it's a pretty good start for them. Good, yeah. Um, and uh, there are slightly more available now, you know, yeah. especially considering I managed to get a hold of one. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Uh, we also announced at that that uh, that uh, CES show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also announced Project Leonardo for the PS5, mm-hmm. which is a uh, accessibility controller kit, much mm-hmm. like the one that Microsoft released a couple years ago. Yeah, uh, this one is a little bit similar, though. Uh, looks pretty interesting the way it's set up. So it basically looks like a big disc uh, with these different. Uh, I don't like, I guess buttons, big buttons mm-hmm. uh, with little tags on them. You can, they give you a bunch of them for that to, because you can remap all these buttons to different things, uh, as well as use, I think, two of them together uh, to have sort of a bigger, bigger button access for people that need that to have physical issues and whatnot to need that. Uh, but yeah, two can work together. You can also use, one with the dual sense or two with the dual sense uh-huh. uh, or just two of these together yeah, uh, or one solo. It also has uh three millimeter uh, uh, ports on it. So you can plug in uh, the various expansions that these sort of things have. Uh-huh. Uh, they've talked about working with a number of accessibility companies, uh, able gamers, special effect and stack up uh, to, uh, collaborate on this project so that seems Mm -hmm. like a really cool uh way to make all this uh make the playstation 5 more accessible platform Mm -hmm. for people oh uh, yeah then need it and yeah no dates or anything or price uh but it looks really cool Mm -hmm. looking forward to see more about that uh in the future so yeah there you go sony doing Mm -hmm. something really cool for uh the community that needs it Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Definitely. There you go. All yeah. for uh, more accessibility. Yep. Yeah, there you go. A uh, company decided accessibility is not for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Square Enix, every year they put out a big letter, open letter, uh, outlining their plans for the year, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And Square Enix decided that, hey, uh, mm-hmm. we're still into the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of course yeah uh, saying here let's see uh, yeah Matsuda said that Square Enix was investing in various business domains but that it was most focused on blockchain entertainment uh, and the letter used a soup of buzzwords and empty ideas to try and paint a picture that blockchain tech wasn't mm-hmm. dying or collapsing but in fact was growing and becoming more popular uh, even cited that Web 3.0 has become a firmly established buzzword among business people, mm-hmm. which is that that is a thing that shows that something is healthy mm-hmm. and uh, interesting, especially in the wake of the FTX bankruptcy and the other crypto stuff exploding. Uh, all that not going super well. Square Enix has said, hey, we're still interested in this. 
uh, that they maybe want to get in on the scam, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Cause we still haven't seen too much of them doing this blockchain or NFT stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the most they've done is they sell uh, some of these expensive sort of figures mm-hmm. that come with NFTs related to them. Yeah. But also with the caveat that if, you know, they shut down uh, that service, you just lose it. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. You'll still have the figure, but anything else, uh, NFT stuff will mm-hmm. go away. And it's like, I guess, I guess you guys can waste your money however you want, but it seems mm-hmm. like it'd be a better idea to spend it on things that are real and people want. Cause there's one thing, good thing the gaming community has done over the past year is tell all these NFT and blockchain people to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever the big publishers have been talking about it. Because uh, Ubisoft is quietly shut up uh, about the their experiments with it. Uh, Sega, I think, is still talking a little bit about it. And Square Enix obviously has, but for the most part, the, the publishers talking about being the future of the industry seem to have shut the fuck up because the players have told them they don't want any of this. So yeah, we've managed to save ourselves from one bad thing in the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one other thing that's uh, slowly working is unionization in the industry. Yeah. Uh, the Zenimax Studios union that was voted on in a supermajority mm-hmm. uh, comprised of their various studios against software, Arcane and Bethesda Softworks. Mm-hmm. I voted to join Zenimax Workers United slash Communication Workers of America Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 300 QA workers at Zenimax have voted to indicate they wish to join this union. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft has opted to formally recognize it and start the process of uh, negotiating contract stuff mm-hmm. for that. So uh, they are doing at least the, the smart thing because they are also dealing with the FTC and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the various uh, regulation groups around the world. Uh, so it's in their best interest to not, you know, shake up things too much uh, on this front. Otherwise, they make themselves uh, seem like uh, a bad company to be acquiring another big company mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's some good news there. Hopefully mm-hmm. they get a good deal and all that, but we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but uh, definitely, you know, like, again, the momentum is on the side right now. And, you know, unionization is growing pretty much throughout the entire country. Yeah. Yeah, especially in an industry that needs it for oh yeah, you know, like the QA workers that especially get abused often and taken advantage of mm-hmm. uh, throughout the the industry. So luckily they are starting to uh, see some uh, unionization benefits mm-hmm. through there. So there we go for that. And that'll do it for the news for this week. Yep. Uh, but next we'll talk about our games of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we'll do this through talking about our individual top tens. And then yeah. Because we'll, I think we generally cover most of the top ten here between uh, what you and I have on our list, Brandon. Yep. Uh, so we will start at number 10 mm-hmm. uh, for each of us. Uh, I will start off here. My number 10 is Tunic, mm-hmm. uh, which 
is just a very good love letter to the Legend of Zelda and Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. When you hear people talking about, you know, Dark Souls, it's like, oh, Dark Souls is basically, you know, an evolution of the original Legend of Zelda game. Yeah. And all that. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, they don't do anything else really all that much like the, the Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one does it because it throws you into this world. Uh, you have your combat that's very much like a Souls game where you're mm-hmm. locking on to enemies. Uh, avoiding their attacks, exploiting their weaknesses, that kind of stuff. Uh, but it doesn't really hold back against you. No, nope. It's one to let you get fucked up as much as you want, but mm-hmm. uh, you'll build up your defenses and stats and all that mm-hmm. by exploring, finding, you know, uh, the various collectibles and currency and such. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, building up uh, your uh, stats, getting new uh, abilities, and that kind of is spurred on by the manual that you are collecting pages from, uh, which is kind of an ingenious way of having a guide in your game. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, even though all the, the words are largely in gibberish language, mm-hmm. uh, the you can look at the, the screenshots and such and figure out sort of what it's talking about. Yeah. various things and it'll explain mechanics to you and like, Oh, you need this to upgrade this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to figure out like, okay, how do I get to a place that I can do an upgrade? Mm-hmm. And it'll show you a lot of that kind of stuff, but maybe in a way it's a little more obtuse, but you know, if you're paying attention, it'll explain a lot of stuff to you mm-hmm. uh, just without being, you know, an English language guide kind of thing to it. Yeah. Uh, and it does a really good job of giving you some maps and such to mm-hmm. point out things uh, as you go around. And yeah, it's a really cool touch to mm-hmm. uh, push this game. And it, uh, it also has some great accessibility to it. Cause uh, if you play it and you just reach a point where like, ah, this is just taking a lot of work. It's, you know, uh, I just kind of want to blast through the rest of it. You can just turn off your ability to take damage and just, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy all the combat and all that, but you're not going to have to, deal with damage at that point. So if a boss just for whatever reason, just gets uh, the best of you constantly and you're just not able to figure it out, mm-hmm. you just turn it on and just blast through it and maybe turn it back off or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, it does a good job of making, you know, a souls like game more accessible than, you know, from software allows in their own games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's my number 10. Unfortunately, that's not on our, Overall top 10, so no. Brandon, what's your number top, number 10? Uh, my number 10 was Stray, um, which was, of course, the, the game kind of sort of became a meme because, you know, it was the game where you got to play as a cat. Um, yeah. What does the internet love more than anything else? What made the game unique was the fact that, yeah, you play a cat, but you play a cat in this world that essentially seems to be post-human, and... All the individual characters you run into that are not cats are all robots or AI of some kind. Um, the world building itself is extremely... It's fascinating because in some places it's detailed, other places it's slight, and it leaves a lot to the imagination. But essentially what it seems to be telling you is that you're in what is essentially like a walled-off city that 
is like all the stuff that's still working here is like all the remains of the you know the technology and stuff that the humans left behind after they died out and you know a lot of the robots there are still kind of trying to recreate uh human society in some mild way um Part of, of course, uh, the the charm of the game is the fact that you know, since you play a cat, you your player, you know, your care, you can be a cat. Basically, you know, the cat likes to scratch at stuff. It likes to, you know, meow and get into like little claw fights and stuff. And it's just it's just extremely charming. <laughs> it was a very charming game. Sadly, it was also unfortunately a little kind of short. Um, which, you know, was sort of balanced out by sort of like just the sheer amount of stuff that you could see in this game in just a single environment. But, yeah, that was my top ten. I mean, my my number ten in my top ten, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that one didn't make our top ten? No. Uh, but let's see here. Mine is, my number nine mm-hmm. is Shin-Chan, Me and the Professor on Summer Vacation, The Endless Seven-Day Journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, a game that I came to later in the year. I think I got around uh, Black Friday, mm-hmm. maybe a little after that. Uh, but it is kind of a chill, uh, kind of slice of life game, essentially, if you know your anime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where Shin Chan goes on summer vacation with his family. It's supposed to be for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when they arrive off the, off the train station, they run into this weird professor that gives them a camera that allows you to take pictures of stuff that uh, can print it out as like a, a painting of sorts, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a Polaroid, but uh, more weird mm-hmm. to it. And uh, they kind of go on uh, their way to meet their uh, the mom's uh, childhood friend who has you know, grown up and had her own family and they're kind of staying with them in this town. Mm-hmm. Shin Chan kind of goes around to explore and like help people out and all that, which is not as in his nature from the anime. So he's kind of a more uh, chill version of his himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause in the anime, he's more of a, a mischievous smart alecky kid mm. uh, who loves to uh, dig at people, mm-hmm. uh, especially his parents and the things that they're insecure about. Uh, that kind of stuff, but here he's more of a a, a curious, helpful kid uh, mm. that is kind of going around doing errands for people, exploring, catching bugs, catching fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the your mom's friend runs a restaurant, so they have like a little board. It's like here are some things I could use if you can, you know, catch them or collect them for me, kind of thing. And you get currency from that, mm. uh, as well as the the, the little grocery store in town and the, the sushi shop mm-hmm. also, or the, I think it's a, a ramen shop yeah. uh, that uh, also does the same thing. So you can kind of start building up cash that way to be able to buy. I don't, there hasn't been really too much to buy right at the moment. So uh, you can get mm-hmm. snacks. Cause as you're running around, you lose energy. Yeah. If you let yourself run out, you just kind of pass out and somebody finds you mm. and wakes you up. Uh, but at a certain point in the day, uh, some people come in like, ah, oh, it's dinner time. Let's go back, and it's like a, a transition to the nighttime kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you get to explore a little bit more for nighttime. Maybe catch some different bugs or fish or whatever. Uh, ex- you know, uh, push some other storyline stuff forward. 
that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's a very nice chill game. Uh, mm. Especially one of the more fun things is that uh, at a certain point, the, the professor returns, he's like, ah, I've got a time machine and I brought a brachiosaur here. Mm-hmm. And he starts freaking out. And then they just get used to it. And he's like, ah, I thought I was going to scare people, but they don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Shin Chan eventually finds his way to the professor's uh, lair or whatever. Mm. Uh, as he's about to bring back a pterodon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he sees him do a weird dance that he has to do to activate this whole thing. Yeah. Like, I'm going to trap you in this, you know, replay this week over and over again. Mm. And, you know, he's like, okay, mm. I'll be on summer vacation forever. Yeah. I like, guess the worst thing a kid could ever hear, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's a cool little game. Definitely worth uh, checking out. If you are into that, it's a, it's a spiritual successor to the Boku no Natsuyasumi series mm-hmm. uh, that was only released in Japan. Uh, they got a number of entries on the PS1 and PS2 and PSP, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Sony Sony Japan series that never made it over. But yeah, that's a game. It's cool. Uh, people should definitely check it out. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it did not make our overall top 10. But Brandon, what's your number nine? My number nine is an odd little game, but still really good, called Immortality. And essentially what this is, is it's a quote-unquote interactive film game where you are in the um, the sort of the, the chair of a person who is working as a film editor um, who is going the, through these three different roles of film of these three different movies that have, that have previously not been released, but they are released now. And they all star this same actress. One of them was made in the 1960s. One of them was made in the 70s during like the era of New Hollywood. And then one of them, the last one was made in the 90s as like an independent film. Um, But the thing is, she does not age at all in any of the games. She looks exactly like she does in the 90s as she does in the 60s. And sort of the, the, on top of like, you know, the actual film, the, that, the, the, you know, the movies that the films are on, they also have got, you know, like, Back, you know, like uh, bloopers and footage and rehearsal stuff and like personal things. And it starts, what happens is, you know, you're sort of slowly un, um, revealing the story of who this woman is and who these other people are and, you know, why, you know, bad stuff seems to happen around her. But what's uh, unique about it is, you know, since you have a you know, you're a film editor essentially working on an editing machine. You can, you know, rewind um, footage. You can fast forward footage. Um, and as the footage goes on, you can use the cursor to click on various objects in the scene that's uh, on the camera. And it'll take you to like another scene or like another, even another film reel altogether. But what's unusual is that. As you start playing the game, you'll start to notice at certain points, you'll start feeling your control vibrate, your control vibrate, Um, or there'll be like some kind of thing that is, you know, signaling to you that something's up. And what happens is if you rewind the footage, you'll actually, the, the footage will completely change and suddenly you'll see this, these two individuals, um, it's not quite 
exactly who they are until like later in the game. Who were giving like these weird cryptic ideas about like you know eternity and life and all this stuff, and it actually is tied in directly into the game, and it's just it's very unsettling. Um, but yeah, that was my number nine. Yeah, and that's another one that didn't make the list. Yeah, uh, let's see, number eight, Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirby is a series that I would say is my favorite of Nintendo's. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that's been going on for about 30 years at this point, mm-hmm. uh, a little over that. Uh, but yeah, it's been kind of the same kind of experience for the most part. It's been 2D mm-hmm. up until uh, the latest ones on the uh, 3DS and the early Switch. Uh, I guess Kirby Allies, I think, mm-hmm. is the, the most recent one on the Switch in the mainline series. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they're all 2D, even though it's like, you know, 3D, uh, you know, models and all that. Uh, mm. But the gameplay has been kind of stuck in a bit uh, where it's, you know, been largely the same since the, uh, you know, Kirby adventure on the, the NES, uh, mm. that kind of stuff. Uh, so here comes Kirby in the Forgotten Land, like something that shakes up by bring the, the series into full 3D as a platformer, mm-hmm. uh, though it's not necessarily on the same scale as like, you know, the upgrade from, you know, Super Mario World to Super Mario 64. Yeah. Like, to the past to Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, it's still a limited 3D world. You know, you have a very uh, limited amount of space to explore mm-hmm. uh, for that. But uh, otherwise, it does a lot of uh, cool stuff that makes it feel like a more fresh experience. Uh, yeah. You do have, like, a 3D area to explore, but, you know, it's more linear in that sense. Not really too mm. much in the way of, you know, forks in the road. Uh, but you do get uh, a number of challenges for each stage for freeing mm. these Waddle Dees as Kirby and the Waddle Dees and other characters from Kirby's world have been brought to this uh, world that looks like the, like a post-human civilization. Uh, mm. So that you're kind of exploring and Kirby has mouthful mode where he can sort of mostly swallow some of these objects. Uh, mm-hmm. And that gives him new abilities, like you know, uh, swallowing a car and being able to drive around. Uh, mm-hmm. One stage they have like a a racing uh, challenge to it, uh, where you're kind of doing that. Uh, there's some with you know, swallow a vending machine that can shoot out the the pop that's in the machine, that kind of stuff. Uh, this is a handful of other. Other modes he can go into for that stuff mm-hmm. to enable new ways of getting around these stages. So that's yeah. some of the the big stuff they do to shake things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but along the way, like the uh, a lot of the more recent games, is you can collect capsules of uh, mm-hmm. various characters in the game. Uh, that is pretty easy because you can just get tons of the currency to buy them, mm-hmm. uh, as well as you can find a number of them in the stages themselves. Uh, so at a certain point, I was just literally buying as much as I could to fill out the book mm. that you get. And then, you know, you keep playing, you get a second book and, uh, you know, keeps going until, you know, you've gotten through the entire game. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's similarly not super hard mm. in any way, really. Uh, but the uh, the boss fights are kind of where it gets real tough. Because yeah. you kind of have uh, sort of a big area to explore. And take on these fights, you know, the first one you fight a a big gorilla uh, dude that 
uh, will fuck you up if you're not paying attention. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a cat lady that is hanging out in a circus tent kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So there's a lot of those kind of things are pretty cool uh, set pieces for boss fights, that kind of stuff. Uh, and the other cool thing that they do is that the uh, the uh, uh, the all the different abilities you can absorb, mm-hmm. uh, they have a second form, an evolved form. Uh, so like you're you get a lot of the same ones you've had in previous games, but they'll have a second form that's usually more devastating. Usually, depending on the uh, the thing that's you know a situation that you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know one of the big ones like you get uh, some sword a sword to fight with, uh, mm-hmm. but in the second form it turns into like a monster hunter style sword. You know an outfit yeah. that Kirby gets on. Uh, you know you get. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones I'm blanking on, but yeah, it's a lot of the cool stuff like that where it's like, oh, I've managed to upgrade this and I get a cool, you know, extra version. He has like a a gun in one of them, and then the mm-hmm. ultimate form he has like dual pistols, yeah, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff like that uh, that he gets to upgrade, and you can even just go into the shop in the little town base that you have and mm-hmm. sort of try them out uh, for that kind of stuff. And just between missions, you can just go and grab those so instead of like the the traditional way that Kirby had replay values that you would have collectibles you couldn't get without having mm-hmm. certain powers and you might have to play a previous stage to get the power from there to take into the other stage mm-hmm. that kind of stuff it's not so much of an issue here when you can just go into the the shop and just pick out the power you want for that stage mm-hmm. uh, before going into it so yeah it makes for a really good Kirby game uh, that I hope they kind of take some more uh big chances for the next one and go mm. maybe full 3d in a way that like super Mario odyssey had. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that one was my number eight was also the number eight overall mm-hmm. uh, list. So same place there. Very good game. One yeah. that's uh, a lot of us picked. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have it on yours, Brandon? Uh, no, I do not. Um, okay. yeah, if, yeah. If I talk about anything that's, you have on yeah. your list. Feel free to add on. Yeah, my tunic, my my tunic was actually my number on my number five list, and right. part of what I really liked about it was the fact that it's sort of sets up like from the beginning that the world that you're fixing to explore isn't just like a world that exists for its own sake. It's actually already been explored by someone else, and like one yeah. of the things you start to see is like. Other people have already, like, you know, opened some chests and stuff. And it's like, okay, what the world is going on here? And, um, yeah, just, that that game was just great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the first sword you get is like, oh, this was left here by somebody Mm -hmm. in the forest. Not like the, like the way it is in Zelda's, like, uh, it's it's placed in the stone. You know, like like King Arthur's stone, or a sword, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Is all you had that was, uh. Also on mine? Mm-hmm. Okay. But, what about um, your number eight? My number eight was Metal Health. Um, and basically the best way to describe this game is it's Doom Eternal as a rhythm game. Um, you're basically a demon who's trying to get their voice back, and you're going through these different layers of hell in order to fight the sort of guardian or whatever at the end of each level that's keeping your a part of your voice in their power and how the game works is you have infinite ammunition so you never have to worry about you know getting more ammo but what happens is 
because the game is rhythm based, um, you know, there's this like driving heavy metal soundtrack behind it that actually gets more and more elaborate and like more fully formed as a song, like the longer you're able to keep up with the rhythm. Um, but basically all the enemies you come in contact, they pulsate with this light and it, you know, it goes with the rhythm. And if that doesn't, isn't enough to help you, like there's always like fires and torches that also like burst and inflame like with the rhythm of the music. And what you're trying to do is every enemy you come in contact with, you want to attack them with the rhythm of that music the best you possibly can. And usually after you attack them enough times, you'll be able to do like a, you know, much like with Doom and Doom Eternal, you know, the more recent ones, you can then do like a a close contact attack that'll like take them out. Um, It is, it's very, sounds very simple. It is very difficult, but it's also extremely entertaining. Um, And, you know, the soundtrack, of course, is fantastic. It's got, you know, the dude from System of a Down as one of the vocalists for it. Um, And just all, it it, it was great. It was a great game. I loved it. It was like the amalgamation of so many things I love. And, uh, yeah, that was my number eight. Yeah, that's one I definitely need to check out at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. For my number seven, God of War Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is also our overall number one game of the year. Yep. Uh, Dan Reb really enjoyed it, so he has much more you could say about it, but obviously mm-hmm. he's not here Yeah. Uh, this week. So uh, I'll talk about I have played a good bit of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it follows up on where the original God of War left off, where... Oh, Ragnarok mm. is, you know, the, the process of getting to Ragnarok is has started. Mm. Uh, it started snowing in Midgar as, uh, you know, the Kratos and Atreus are sort of well, unsure of, like, what's to come. As a result, they kind of know what Ragnarok is. Mimir also knows what Ragnarok is and is fearful for what that means for Odin, mm-hmm. uh, what he is going to do, because... You've learned like he has been trying to figure out how to stop Ragnarok from happening as fate demands. Mm. Yep. Uh, and so that kind of leads into here where the events that you know happened years earlier, a few years earlier, uh, are still uh, you know wreaking havoc as mm. uh, uh, what's her face the the witch uh, from the first game Freya. Uh, she is still after Kratos and Atreus for killing her son mm-hmm. in the first game. Uh, she has not forgiven them, even though they you know, did not want to kill him, but it was the only choice they were given as a result. Uh, so uh, she has sort of waged, continued to wage her war on them as they try to uh, survive and sort of await whatever is next with all this. So mm. uh, the... Uh, the whole thing here is that uh, Odin and uh, Thor have visited mm-hmm. uh, Kratos and Atreus because they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. They know who Kratos is, and they would like to not end up like uh, his previous uh, opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the Greek mythology, you know, uh, Zeus and the the Olympic pantheon of gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would like to not suffer that fate. Yeah, uh, and so they try to strike a truce, but 
Kratos knows that you know you cannot trust gods, no matter even if you come to agreements like that. Uh, he knows not to trust them in any way, so he tells them to basically go fuck off, mm-hmm. uh, because you know they can't be trusted. So mm-hmm. uh, it starts off with a really good fight with Thor mm-hmm. as he is trying to test Kratos. Because, uh, you know, they have a, a thing that I guess if you come to them from another realm, mm-hmm. uh, there is a blood tax to be paid uh, as a result. So, you know, they get into a really good fight, so much so that Thor kills you and, it you know, pulls up the loading screen to retry. And he's like, you're not getting off that easy. It shocks you with lightning and brings mm-hmm. you back to life, interrupting, you know, the, the supposed way the game works. Mm. as like a really good... Uh, meta play on that stuff and they do the really cool stuff here with uh, the story is Atreus has you know it's been a few more years he's grown up a bit he's learning more about his powers but still has not learned everything about them and sort of has a run in with one of his powers that he has uh, he had no clue that he could do um, sort of scares him so they go on uh, since they're trying to avoid Odin, who has shut down all travel between the realms, they talk to Brock and Sindri, who have another way of uh, potentially getting around, and that's sort of something they work on. And it's sort of a lot of that stuff is, you know, Atreus is still in the midst of puberty, mm-hmm. uh, learning more about himself, and you get to control him uh, on his own. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was doing the video for this, uh, I realized as I was... But like, oh, I left off in a point where Atreus is on his own. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, so much for trying not to spoil anything. Uh, but that is one thing. Atreus mm-hmm. gets to do his own combat and all that. He has his own buddies that he hangs out with uh, on occasion when he does his own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that is sort of a neat uh, evolution of the way that you know the God of War stuff works. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they have a lot of cool stuff here. Uh, with this game, sort of a, a great evolution of the first game, mm. uh, which unfortunately is a negative for some people. If you're able to play in the same, you know, world, even though you're not necessarily going through the same areas mm-hmm. uh, the exact way, but uh, does a lot of cool stuff. I'm looking forward to put some more time into it and you know, hopefully beat it sometime this year. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that is our number one overall game of the year, mm. uh, number seven for me. Uh, so, Brandon, right. what is your number seven? My number seven was Weird West. Um, this was a game that I played on my Xbox Series S uh, because it was a um, it was a Game Pass game, and it was made by a studio that's made up of a bunch of people who originally worked for Arcane Studios behind the Dishonored series. And uh, basically, it's a dark fantasy western game. Uh, it plays like an isometric action RPG where Essentially, it's a game that's spread out between a number of different characters. Um, it starts off with like a bounty hunter, and then there's another, and then after that, there's another character, guy that was like kidnapped by a cult and like transformed into like a pig man and everything. And he's given like extremely strong um, close contact attacks and stuff. Um, but um, essentially, the game is. Uh, it's it's it, you can tell it's by arcane uh, alumni because the game is very much has that sort of you know total simulation in its guts 
where you can do things like kick over stuff and climb up top to hide and things like that. Um, but it's mostly action based. Um, you're, you know, you've got access to, you know, your standard Western type weapons. You know, you got your six shooter pistols, you got your shotguns and your long guns, you got like sticks of dynamite and stuff like that. Um, you've also got some close quarters uh, weapons like knives and like thing, you know, like fist things with nails in them, stuff like that. Um, and essentially, you're given like a every time you go to a mission, and you can basically go about that mission however way you want. You can, you can, you know, go the brutal way and kill everyone you see. You can also go the more stealthy way and take a couple of them out systematically. You can actually, it's and it's not easy to do, but you can actually like go into every, it can incapacitate every enemy you encounter without having to kill them. Um, but, uh, it, you know, you travel like all over the Western landscape that's slowly having to deal with like, um, this weird sort of Lovecraftian thing that's happening. Um, it was, it was really good. Um, I did have it, some issues with like glitches though. Um, they did like get better with the glitches cause they get some update updates after a little while. Um, but what was especially amazing was the overall story because they basically, like I said, they split it up between these different characters who, um, all have like their own like self, you know, stories, and then it sort of all intertwines at the end. And it was just, it, it was a great game, great experience. I'm honestly surprised that we haven't seen something like this before, but yeah, I recommend it. So that was my number seven. All right. Yeah, that also is not uh, one of our top 10 games mm-hmm. overall, but let's see. My number six, Return to Monkey Island. Mm. Uh, before this came out, I beat uh, the first two Monkey Island games mm-hmm. that sort of lead into this one. Uh, that were a good sort of setup for this. So I think they have like a recap mm. when you start the game. But this is the economically the third game in the series, though it's doing story stuff too, where you're playing uh, a later Guybrush mm-hmm. Threepwood who has kids. Um, and yeah, it plays off the end of the of the second game where that ends and takes it into a different route. That is uh. Just a, a really cool adventure game, modern adventure game uh, from Ron Gilbert uh, that uh, is kind of about, you know, uh, being at something for, you know, 30 years, uh, what that does to somebody, especially to come back, sort of what you want out of it, you know, because the, the big uh, the big sort of red herring for the series is the secret of Monkey Island. What is the secret? All that. Mm-hmm. And it's like the entire first game is like, oh, you're supposed to be finding the secret, but you don't really. Uh, and, you know, the other games, they they tangentially get back to that kind of thing as well as other things that are mm-hmm. going on. Uh, but this one was like, what if Guybrush, you know, just obsessively tries to go back and get, really find the secret of Monkey Island and what that means. And mm-hmm. it's also playing off of, you know, uh, what's, Things are like for, you know, Ron Gilbert to come back to this series that he loved so much and mm-hmm. uh, has defined his career. 
uh, and that kind of stuff. And it's, it has a lot of sweet, genuine moments to it Mm -hmm. for these characters. Uh, that is uh, a really great for, you know, fan service for what the, uh, for people that enjoyed the series overall. Mm. Uh, yeah, just a, a very cool game. It has some good accessibility stuff with like a hint book that you can get that is actually able to better tell where you're at and what sort of puzzles you're uh, working on and give you hints on that stuff. I think I only had mm. one, one situation where that seemed to have an issue, but it was more just, I didn't really understand something to the extent that the hints thought I did, but mm. uh, it has some good accessibility options to it as well uh, to make it easier to, uh, Better play this game to the extent that you want to. So, yeah, definitely recommend it. Not on our top ten, but there you go. So what's your number six, Brandon? Uh, my number six was Cult of the Lamb. Um, All right. Which, uh, I'm, is that on your list, too? No. No, okay. Cult of the Lamb, uh, I mean, this game took off very bigly for a good reason. Um, because of its aesthetic and its weird sort of, like, creepy... Lovecraftian undertone, but also, you know, with the cute aesthetic on top of it. Uh, basically, it's like Stardew Valley, except you're leading a cult, basically. Um, yeah. You're this little lamb who got uh, saved by this uh, weird monstrosity um, called the one who waits beneath. And the land is basically covered with like a bunch of other, like other sort of freaky abominations with their own cults. And your job is to basically start up a cult compound where you can like recruit other people and get them to do jobs and build, you know, altars and stuff like that. Eventually. So you can get enough power so that you can go and attack the other cults and kill their leaders. Um, It sort of hops between, you know, building and management and then, you know, dungeon crawler and stuff like that. Um, I mean, honestly, there ain't really much I can, other people haven't already talked about <laughs> it's just legitimately yeah. that good yeah it's fun one of those games mm-hmm. uh, especially if you can sort of hang with both parts of it mm-hmm. uh, running the camp sort of thing and doing all that and mm-hmm. uh, doing all the combat stuff mm-hmm. uh, I just bounced off it at a certain point not for any real reason just a lot of stuff was coming out last year mm-hmm. uh, but yeah unfortunately that one also did not make our top 10 I think mm-hmm. we'll start getting into stuff here that will make the top tens. Mm. Uh, though not my number five, which is Far Changing Tides. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second game in the series after Far Lone Sails that was a fun, unique sort of adventure game where you were piloting a uh, a wheeled vessel mm-hmm. that I guess you and your parents had been working mm. on. Uh, unfortunately, they seem to pass away, and you sort of go on this big adventure uh, acquiring some upgrade parts for that, and uh, eventually reaching an end point. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Um, and this sequel sort of takes place with another character, uh, this time in a vehicle that is uh, more aquatic in nature, able to go under the water, mm-hmm. uh, under the water up to sea level, uh, you know, breach the water, whatever uh, you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're kind of exploring this sort of flooded area mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, is a really cool evolution of that. And along with that, uh, they have really put a lot of work into the world building. 
because mm-hmm. uh, at no point is anybody like talking to you, telling you a story or anything. It's all silent mm-hmm. in that nature. So your only means of you know figuring out like what's been happening is mm-hmm. sort of watching how uh, the world is designed and what you know stuff it's showing. The first game didn't really have a ton there to sort of clue you into like maybe what happened here, but in the second they do a much better job with that stuff. Uh, so you get, you know, uh, some of these areas where, you know, it's obvious that like massive flooding has happened, maybe as a result of climate change. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go into some underwater areas and you start figuring out like, oh, these people tried to create like an under underwater society. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting stuff with that. Uh, and a lot of just really cool vistas and uh, set pieces as you're trying to get around these areas and, you know, free up obstacles so you can get your ship around that kind of stuff. And the way it ends is a, is an amazing moment for people that played both these games Mm. uh, that I hope leads to a really cool third game that maybe caps off the whole thing. I don't know, but I think the, this game has probably done pretty well enough to keep the, the studio working on more of it. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that's the case, but yeah, this is my number five and uh, did not make the, overall top 10 so mm. what's your number five brandon uh my number five was tunic which we already discussed yeah. so all right <laughs> so i'll go to my number four uh, and this one definitely made the list of vampire survivors mm-hmm. same uh, here this is a game that is just complete nonsense oh yeah completely uh, uh when you first hear it being described you're like what the fuck are you talking about it's a game that's like a dual stick shooter but you don't shoot yeah, like that. Stuff it's a dual stick shooter with one of the sticks removed. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't actually do anything, uh, and you start playing it, and you're like, "Okay, this is this is weird." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just walk around, and then the first guy you have has a whip, and it's like, "All right, I'll I'll go walk around and like aim it at specific enemies." Mm-hmm. So it's just the the whip just shoot uh, attacks vertically or horizontally. Yeah. And so, like, only one way, so you have to upgrade it to get it both ways. So you're just like, all right, this this weapon's at least less annoying now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you start killing enemies, and they drop these little gems that fill up your XP bar, that kind of thing. And so it's like, all right, this is interesting. Uh, and you eventually will probably die before you get to 30 minutes, which is the max amount of time. Uh, mm-hmm. A stage goes. Well, I mean, you can go after it, but mm-hmm. uh, you have to build out your loadout the a specific way to survive much longer after that. Yeah, because uh, at that point, uh, death comes for you and will mm-hmm. just kill you in one shot. Yeah, uh, but there are some weapons that can stave them off. But I think mm-hmm. if you go long enough, I think a minute, another one spawns in. So you just start yeah. adding more chaos at the end. Yep, uh, for that. So. Yeah, it's it's a game where that's whole thing, and the another main mechanic is that if you uh, once you level up, it uh, you know pops up. Here's a couple things you can get. You know, some might be new items or uh, supplemental items, uh, weapons yeah. uh, might be upgrade of something you have. Uh, if you kill like little mini bosses or like mm-hmm. bigger versions of enemies that are trying to attack you, mm-hmm. uh, they will drop a chest sometimes. And that gives you a free upgrade for one of your items or weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes it'll be a three banger or a five banger. Mm-hmm. And those are like some of the most exciting moments of any game this year. 
It's just like, all right, I'm getting a bunch of free shit for a while. Uh, that kind of stuff. And it's a game full of complete nonsense because mm-hmm. nothing that it's doing really should make for a good game. No. <laughs> uh, and yet it but does. It's, it's one that just you get into the idiosyncrasies of the way it's designed. Yeah. And all that, that it's like, all right, this is just nonsense and something that I can get into. Yeah. Uh, it's basically and, a dopamine machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and part of also what makes it fun is it has a very kind of irreverent tone um, because the game itself, despite what the title suggests, there is no vampire to be seen. <laughs> yeah, you you go and do some of the new maps and you'll see uh, if you have the map unlocked, you can see that there is uh, you know, big question mark in one area and you go to mm-hmm. it and it's a a coffin that is sort of bouncing as yeah. you go to it and it does the, the super Mario brothers thing of like, Oh, your vampire is in another coffin. Yep. And that's but how you unlock then, characters. Yep. That's how you unlock other characters. Well, that and you know, uh, leveling up with other characters as well. Um, yeah. There's a long list of unlocks that you get. And those are all basically the achievements in the game mm-hmm. uh, that are like, do this thing and you'll unlock this might be another mm-hmm. map might be another weapon or a character or other modes or whatever mm-hmm. in the game, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun nonsense game. That's been uh, something that has gotten pretty huge for this industry. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those very weird games that should not have gotten more than like 10 or 20,000 sales. Yeah. Um, and part of what's also enjoyable, layers um because you don't really realize it at first but there's actually more stuff sort of going on as you continue playing the game and go to like different levels um because you know like you said eventually you can get things like a map and that'll show you like various things that you could find on you know on on the various uh levels that you can go into things like uh finding new uh, permanent power-ups or new items you can access. And like you said, uh, other characters that you can unlock. Um, And then eventually you'll find out some other weird stuff, like finding out uh, there's this weird sort of thing about this entity um, that's kind of based on the king in yellow that shows up who... It starts off as like a sort of like a vaguely like angelic enemy that's like an hourglass with wings, um, and you have to like get through this level that's like literally like a liter- like a linear hallway that like bends at angles and stuff. And you have it there. There's basically like a countdown basically, and once you get to it, you can get access to a you know a uh, one of the things that you know one of the medallions eliminates all the enemies on the board, um, including that thing, and then you keep going into what looks like thin air, and you get a uh, uh, an object called the yellow sign, which not only reveals what that angelic enemy is, it's another version of death, but with like a weird sort of club staff thing. Um, but you also get access to new items that can like uh, weaken or strengthen you, depending on which ones you pick up, but it also reveals a new class of enemies, which are these things called uh, 
their names escape me. I think they're called like watchers or they're these weird like things with hovering things with like golden robes and they wear like different kinds of masks and stuff. And yeah, it's just that there's a lot more going on with that game than you think as the game than you think when you start off. Um, also, the bestiary is just a hell of a lot of fun to read because it's hysterically funny. Um, basically, the guy who who wrote the bestiary is absolutely convinced that ghosts are not a thing, even though you do encounter ghosts in the game. And I just found out the other day that you know who actually wrote the bestiary? Who? Jim Sterling. Okay. Yeah. James Stephanie Sterling, son. He actually wrote the bestiary for that game. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did that fall in for you? Uh, that was my number four, just like yours. Okay. And that made our number seven overall? Mm-hmm. So I think that's at least three that we've already talked about. Yeah. So far, and yeah, like, the only negative I have to say about Vampire Survivors is it doesn't explain anything to you at all. No. It doesn't. It kind of. If you're expects- lucky, you've heard or seen somebody else play this, so you can have an idea yeah. of what's going on. But if you go in cold, yeah, uh, I would not be surprised if a bunch of people just bounce off immediately, mm-hmm. and you'll refund it on Steam or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, because yeah, it doesn't explain like the unlock system or anything. Yeah, you can see like the the upgrade stuff. It's like okay, I'll put some of the money in here, and I get mm-hmm. you know like. Uh, Rogue Legacy is like, okay, I'll have some bonuses that persist between runs that mm. I wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, that kind of stuff. And those get more expensive the more you invest into those abilities. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's like that's like the one big knock is it's like it's, it is nonsense and it does not mm-hmm. attempt at all to explain anything. Yeah. And also like all the weapons and characters and such have nonsense names as well. Because mm-hmm. They're basically Castlevania archetypes. Yeah, they are. They all uh, are. They're all Castlevania archetypes. For the most part, I don't know. Is, is there a panda in Castlevania? Because uh, there's like weird characters like that. Yeah, there are some weird Which I think outliers. bounces like a rubber ball. No, yeah. I mean like a, a ball made of rubber bands mm-hmm. uh, that bounces that around. It's like, well, that's a weird shit in this game. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's kind of fun about it. Is if you're just going from what you see early on, you're like, okay, so I'm get the whip and the axe and this, and then it goes into mm-hmm. some weird ass places. Yeah, I will uh, say the like sort of like killer games that like weapons that almost break the game. When, at least when you're starting off, there's basically two weapons you can pick up. The one is the garlic, which sort of creates this sort of force field around you that which looks like testicles. Yep, it definitely looks like testicles. <laughs> um, but it's basically it creates a force field around you. You know, you get and keep in mind all of these weapons actually strengthen as you play because you know yeah. you're collecting these blue crystals to level up, basically. Um, yeah. And the thing is, there's also like a I guess the game they call it a grimoire, and basically what it is is it shows you like different combination of objects that you can. Of weapons and you know accessories yeah, you can pick up. You're during, done. Yeah, and basically uh, those will give you access to like stronger versions of some of them, yeah, like evolution. The, yeah, some are like uh, I forget what they call them like union evolutions, where yeah, uh, there's like one character has guns, and if you evolve that, you get to a like super gun that takes up mm-hmm. one less inventory slot. Yep, there's some of those kind of things that are neat. 
Mm. Uh, a lot of them just take up the the space they do. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's that's Vampire Survivors. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, so that's both our number four. Also, it's all just for those who don't know. There's also completely free. So yeah, there's a mobile version that and apparently is it was, free. Yeah, but I think the there's no real pay aspect to it yet. But you can like watch a watch an ad on your phone, mm-hmm. like when you die to get a revive. Yeah, something like that. Uh, that's like the only point he's getting money in it. But I think yeah. the devs also talking about like not sure if I should charge for this DLC on the mobile version. Yeah, people freak out about that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I assume just gonna yeah charge for it ninety nine cents or whatever. Yeah. Get some money that way. But basically the reason he made put it out more or less free on there was because there was a bunch of imitators on the app store that were trying to, you know, hone in on his skis. <laughs> so yeah. he decided, screw it. I'll just put it out there and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was both our number fours and our seven overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go with my number three here. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Yeah. Uh this is a fantastic game. Uh and follows it's a follow up to my favorite beat 'em up ever, which is mm-hmm. TMNT four Turtles in Time on the Super mm-hmm. Nintendo. That is a excellent uh console beat 'em up game. Uh mm-hmm. that originated on the, the arcade, so it was four player and all that, but on consoles two player. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's the the great thing about the Cowabunga collection is you get both of those games mm. uh, that you can, I think you can, I forget which, if both of them are online play or, or not at this point, I forget what mm-hmm. that recent update added, but it's a game that takes a lot of the stuff that was good about it and uh, adds more depth to it, much like mm-hmm. uh, Streets of Rage 4 got. Uh, so there's a lot of added depth to the combat so that, you know, there's there's a, a, a dash move uh, that is good for, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get hit, you can sort of cancel out of that to you know minimize the damage you take. Uh, you can use that for different attacks to modify or cancel out of them. There's a lot of added depth to the attacks as well. It's like you can do your basic attacks with the attack button, but you can also hold it down for a you know a powered up attack, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, even when you start up the campaign, it'll literally run you through like a twenty step tutorial mm-hmm. showing you all the different moves that you can try out uh that kind of thing uh and they yeah in the most recent update they added for the arcade mode that you can uh, you know mess with a bunch of dip switches to change settings that people had issues with like all of you you know dance and refill your special meter after every section of fight you know you can be you know, kind of overpowered and it's like i mean that's fun be overpowered mm. and beat them up, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in the dip switch for the arcade mode, you can just turn that off so that you have to do it the, the normal way, which was you gave up like a, a pip or two of health mm-hmm. to do one of the special attacks, that kind of thing. Uh, but this is a pretty lengthy campaign, I think about 17, 18 stages, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of time uh, they do uh, a lot of the same stuff with uh, TMNT, uh, Turtles in Time. Uh, where, you know, when you start a stage, it's like, you know, the Big Apple, 3 a.m., like, narration kind of stuff. They do some of that here to reference that. Uh, it has some vehicle stages, some just general beat up stages, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, you can get collectibles to find certain stages. 
Uh, they do a good job of telling you, like, hey, this these will be in, like, stage 4, 5, 7, 9, and 10. Like, all right, I'll keep an eye out for that. And you just try and bust up all the stuff in there. Uh, it's just an excellent evolution of what Turtles in Time was uh, to make for a great beat-em-up game here that people would not have expected with the way TMNT games have been for the past 20 years, uh, where you can probably count the amount of good TMNT games uh, then on, you know, with like two hit, two fingers, mm-hmm. like the, the GBA TMNT game that was for the second series mm. is really good. Uh, and I forget there's maybe like one more somewhere, but like the last time they tried to remake TMN, uh, Turtles in time that went poorly, mm-hmm. uh, cause they did not have the rights to just emulate it. So they had to remake it from scratch in, I think like unreal engine mm-hmm. or something like that. And much like the, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater remake on the XBLA, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have the soundtrack because they didn't have the rights to any of that stuff. Fortunately, Konami is much more uh, collaborative at this point because they mm-hmm. don't make much on their own. And so, yeah, uh, the the studios that worked on this, .mu and uh, Tribute Games, did a fantastic job here. That is my number three. Mm-hmm. I think our number two overall. Is it on your list, Brandon? Uh, which game is that? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's no, Revenge. All right. My number three was Splatoon, which, like I said, I had already played it before, and I got a copy Christmas, and I already pretty much explained, you know, why I love this. Um, I fell in love with Splatoon Universe after I played the second game. Um, and basically Splatoon 3 just provides, you know, some minor changes, but still manages to be just as entertaining as Splatoon 2 was. Um, You know, the the team matches are still a lot of fun. The campaign is still very fun. It's just, you know, I love Splatoon and I love Splatoon 3. That's really not much more to add to that. Yeah, and I think you were the only person that had on their list, so Mm -hmm. might have been the only person that played it, so yeah, uh, it did not make the overall list. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, for my number two, this one did not make the overall list. Hard Space Shipbreaker. Yeah, uh, and, I, and that, I also played that and really yeah. liked it, but it wasn't in my top ten. Yeah, it is a fantastic game mm-hmm. uh, that uh, is kind of a simulator, uh, mm-hmm. but doing a more fantastic kind of simulation mm-hmm. uh, where it's set in the future, where space is a whole thing that humans are doing capitalism yeah. in. Yep. Uh, and you're playing a character that is in deep debt, and they take this one avenue of mm-hmm. essentially selling their body to a corporation to get out of that debt. Well, more less their bodies and more their code, um, because basically every time you die, you know you yeah. get cloned. But um, well, they yeah. they sell their body because they lose their original body and become oh, yeah. a digital recoded into a new clone form of your your body every time you die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then along with that, you get a uh, a nice $1.2 billion uh, debt to work out of mm-hmm. uh, to ensure that you're stuck with this corporation for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, your job here is to break ships apart yep. uh, with your handy uh, little cutter tool yep. uh, that does a couple things. There's a grab part of it. There's a cut part. And then I think you get a third part that does like explosions. Mm-hmm. Uh, controlled explosions, controlled demolition. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't use that much because it's mm-hmm. it's a scary thing. Yeah, uh, 
because yeah, you're dealing with a lot of ships, some of which have like uh, nuclear uh, stuff in them that you're like, yeah. I don't want anything to do uh, with putting an explosion near this. Yeah, uh, that you are essentially like getting you know sweaty as you're thinking about how you're going to approach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with some of the other uh, things you start running into, like oh, here's these like burner. Uh, that are in the back of the section where you essentially have to pull this thing apart that then sets it all on fire until you have to, uh, you know, float into the back of it through the fire to mm-hmm. go turn off the uh, the emergency shutoff valve. Mm. That's like always a a white knuckle area to uh, thing to work on uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's really kind of chill. Just kind of go through and like, look up for all these link points that you can just burn up and mm-hmm. uh, pull it apart. Nice and easy. And of course, as you work your way through the game, you get more complex ships that have more risky stuff in them uh, that you're sorting out into three different areas, a mm-hmm. furnace to burn up the, the crappy stuff. Uh, one thing for all your like aluminum and valuable stuff. Mm-hmm. And for the, the really valuable items, you know, a lot of like, beds and computers and chairs and such you send to the uh the big green thing at the bottom that's uh you can shoot all that stuff too and so yeah you get a lot of cool little tools and such you get like these uh uh these uh i'm blanking on but you get some cool stuff that lets you make your job a little bit easier uh and the cool thing is that when you go to start it's like uh, do you want the the super tense version where you run out of oxygen constantly and have to keep running back to the your little hub area to refill, where you can just play without that? I was like, I just play without that because I don't. It's already tense enough to work on these yeah. ships. Uh, I mean, yeah, because you're operating in zero g, so yeah. like every little bit of force can send you flying in a direction if you're not careful. Yeah, uh, so you're kind of. Uh, Dealing with all that, and yeah, it's it's a game. It's all about capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're dealing with capitalism, trying to uh, fight your way out of this debt, so you don't mm-hmm. have to necessarily get out of the way. Get you're, rid of all your debt to finish the game. Yeah, because uh, uh, the the big story point is that people try to unionize, mm-hmm. and uh, that is a whole fun uh, storyline as you deal with you know the corporation finding out and sending a middle manager to. Mm-hmm. Uh, to each of the groups that work for them to try to squash any talk of this. And yeah, eventually you get past that and actually form the union, mm-hmm. take on the corporation and all that. But yeah, the, when it ends, you know, you still have a debt so you can keep working it off and just work mm-hmm. uh, with better terms, I assume. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you can eventually work cause you're like renting all of your equipment Mm-hmm. Uh, at a certain point, you can eventually buy your way out of that stuff, and yeah, it's it's a very fun, uh, chill, but also stressful game mm. uh, to deal with. Uh, they just put it on consoles here in the the fall, uh, so that's uh, and those work out pretty well. Uh, they control pretty well, uh, whereas I probably still prefer PC with the mouse and keyboard, but. Those all work pretty well. So, yeah, it's hard to say Shipbreaker almost made the list overall uh, top 10, but uh, fell just short. But, yeah, what's your number two, Brandon? Uh, my number two was Chained Echoes, which I believe is actually on our collective list, isn't it? Yeah, it's the number 10 overall. Yeah. So Chained Echoes was more or less like a um, 
a solo affair by uh, a German developer um, who basically wanted to like, I want to make a, he basically woke up one day and said, I want to make Chrono Trigger, but I want to make something that's like Chrono Trigger, but isn't Chrono Trigger. And is like, you know, it's, you know, it's got all the love of, you know, for JRPGs, but also wants to update the formula and, you know, sort of throw aside some of the stuff that, frankly, it, it maybe just isn't really, um, or is like archaic. And that's basically what Chained Echoes is. Um, it starts out with you know, a couple of, like, independent characters who have their own little story arcs until eventually they're all forced to form a party. And then the story goes a little bit more, and then they split up, and then they regroup. Then they decide to, like, found a base out in the middle of the sea, which then allows them to, like, go out and start um, doing, like, odd jobs and stuff to, like, gather um, resources so that they can finally uh, plot this... uh, rebellion against a tyrannical king and the whole game is like it it's its backstory is amazing it's got some of the best world building i've seen in a game of this type in ages um yeah it has and it goes all over places there are times deadly serious and gets really dark and there's also times when it's like really silly and whimsical um and it is like, it, there's, like, a lot of things, like, uh, basically what happens is there's this war that's happening on this continent, and then during one of the pivotal battles that happens, someone, I'm not going not to, going to, to, you know, spoil who it is, because it happens pretty early in the game, um, sets off this thing that causes an enormous explosion that kills tens of thousands of people, um, like it's it and like the game makes clear like this is supposed to be like parallel to something like a nuclear explosion. Like later on in the game, you'll go back to the area where it happened and sort of explore the outliers and the place around it has basically been mutated by radiation, basically. Um, but because neither one of the major powers to cop to what happened there, they finally decided it was time to you know, sign a peace treaty. And of course that doesn't work. It ends up falling through and then they're on their way to starting and it's just, things get really complicated from there. Um, Gameplay wise, it's very fascinating because unlike a lot of like uh, other games, this game, this is a, a, um, a JRPG that very much focuses on like spectacle. Um, You have like regular attack, but your regular attacks are actually pretty weak, no matter how like much you level up your characters and their weaponry and stuff. Mostly it's based on like skill attacks. And these skill attacks can be pretty, you know, flashy and they can be like, you know, pretty much like how Chrono Trigger works. Um and then eventually you've got like these all the characters have like their old you know, one of the characters will build, like, a sort of crude, pilotable robot that he'll use to punch all the enemies. Another one, you know, create, like, a giant trident that will rain down from the heavens and stuff like that. And, yeah, um, but there's also another aspect that comes in about a 
about 10 hours or so into the game where you get access to these things called sky armors, which are basically giant robots that you can pilot. And there's different forms of those. There's, you know, ones that focus on like, you know, giant sword attacks. There's ones with like sword and shield, one that's like a wizard type of thing with drones that attack. And they'll get access to things like giant rifles and long guns and stuff like that. And God, it's just, it's, it's an amazing game. Um, and honestly, if if it weren't for the fact that my number one game came out, it would be my number one, but it's not. It's my second. And uh, I'll let yeah. you go ahead and uh, go for what your number one game was. Yeah, and on the Chain Echoes, it's a it's a very cool game. Uh, the story stuff at its you know very most reductive point is like a lot of JRPGs where it's you know war is bad because uh, mm-hmm. it's a a, a a a continent that is been in war for 150 plus years, and so that's all they know, and so they get a chance at peace, but it's an uneasy peace kind of thing, and so the but the the way they do the world building building is really well done, as you're like it's not like the the generic kind of you know war is bad kind of thing. It's like oh, there's bad actors working behind the scenes to. Uh, make things even worse than what they were before, that kind of stuff. Uh, and the characters are all pretty cool, and the way they way they work together in battle is really well done. Uh, especially the the point I did the video for this game uh, was the point where they introduced the uh, had the, the the different parties sort of merge together, and the notion that you can swap like hop swap hot swap them out mm-hmm. in mid mid turn, uh, which doesn't cost your turn. Like you would in a lot of other JRPGs to swap mm-hmm. out party members. Yep. Uh, and so that's pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, it does a good job avoiding some of the the tropes that people don't like about JRPGs, where you have too many people in your party. Yeah. Uh, where like you know they leave the party, their items just disappear, and you're screwed out of you know equipment you might have paid a lot of money for. Mm-hmm. Uh, like say Final Fantasy VII. Uh, you know games like that. Uh, so you get access to those items at any point. You can just say like, well, you don't need this sword anymore. This other character can take it. Uh, that kind of thing uh, in the early part of the game, which is a, a really cool. Mm. And it, it, in the early parts, it's not like a typical JRPG where it's super slow explaining things to you. Mm. Uh, it kind of does give you a quick brief explanation, but it kind of puts you in situations where you use that stuff pretty easily to learn how it works. Mm. And it's a game where you can't grind really. Yeah, uh, and it's you know you're you're exploring and you just run into enemies, and those are enemies that are set in place. They're not like random mm-hmm. battle or anything like that. So there's no like XP to this game. Really, you're kind of just oh. earning points that upgrades your skills. I think it is, uh, and the only characters don't have to be in your party to level up mm-hmm. uh, that way. So it does a lot of friendly stuff to it that is uh, pretty well done and it has some good accessibility stuff with the overdrive system where you can make it a little easier to stay in uh, the good part of it or make it mm-hmm. harder, uh, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a well done indie JRPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that is our number 10 and I will talk about my number one power wash simulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a game I've been playing throughout early access since last summer. I mean, summer of 2021 uh, that I've 
known pretty much from early on that this was probably going to be my game of the year whenever it came mm-hmm. out. Uh, that ended up being 2022. Mm-hmm. As uh, they put it out in 1.0 uh, back in July. Uh, play through it, I think, mm-hmm. altogether about three times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've essentially beats uh, the game up to the point they put it out uh, in early access. I restarted on Steam so I could play the whole game again. Mm. Uh, and you'll know, unlock all the achievements which I have on Steam. I'm almost done with that on Xbox. I'm in the... Uh, you'll notice I just finished the fishing boat on the Xbox version, uh, which I'm playing on mm. PC Game Pass, mm-hmm. not console Game Pass, because if there's a big knock to that game, mm-hmm. it is that the... Uh, the controller's uh, setup is not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of very... Uh, slow uh, and hard to control. You kind of have to do a lot of work if you want to make it work better. And even then, it's not as good as a mouse is mm-hmm. uh, for that stuff. Like being able to sweep back and forth the mouse uh, does a great job for that stuff. So, yeah, that is uh, uh, the one knock I have. But uh, it's a game where you're, you know, uh, running a business uh, for this power washer. It's not really a business sim or anything. Mm-hmm. It's mainly that you're going around doing these jobs uh, as you complete uh, every 20%. Yeah. You get a text from the person that's uh, hired you for this job. They may tell you, you know, more information about what you're, the place you're at, uh, mm-hmm. or just some fun little bit of lore or some jokes or something. Uh, you're doing a, uh, what is essentially uh, Mother Hubbard's shoe house mm-hmm. that's being run as a daycare for kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kids manage to get a hold of uh, Martha Hubbard's phone mm-hmm. and sends you fun little messages like, I got, I'm going to go poop. Mm-hmm. Like, I did it. It's like, all right, that's fun. Uh, there's a lot of, and if you pay attention to the, the information you get in the text, you can notice a lot of uh, little fan service. Mm-hmm. Uh, in various other stages, uh, there's one stage where you can see that somebody uh, did the you know uh, thing to you know lovers have where they do the mm-hmm. hearts carving with the the two initials in it that kind of mm-hmm. thing. You can see that in one of the stages uh, of two characters you've heard about at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you start seeing this lore, this story building up of. Uh, well, the mayor hires you for a thing and then reveals that his cat has gone missing. Mm-hmm. And then somehow somebody's seen the cat near the volcano that's somehow near this English town mm-hmm. of Muckingham. Yeah. Uh, somehow there's a volcano nearby, and it's like this may be all part of a conspiracy that creates the end of the world mm-hmm. kind of thing. And uh, there's all this weird stuff going on, and you keep playing through, and you get to the point where you can maybe save the world. Not gonna mm. reveal anything more about that, but uh, it's a it's a very fun campaign. There's a lot to it. Probably take you a good forty fifty hours to get through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steam version right now. I have uh, I think a hundred and uh, let's see, one hundred twenty five hours in it. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, played through it once on uh, early access. Uh, that was up to before they added the final stuff. So I restarted again, played through it again, and then I been playing through it a third time for the research edition mm-hmm. that's uh, a sort of a partnership with them at Oxford University to do some research stuff. They just ask you questions every once in a while mm-hmm. as you're playing, but you unlock some cosmetic stuff that they'll be putting into the game at some point this year. 
Uh, but yeah, the it has probably one of the most uh, satisfying uh, finales that I've seen mm. in a game in a while. Uh, once you see what happens at the end, it's just like, oh, that was great. Uh, and then the credits are really cool. Uh, you get a nice little song, and it shows you uh, at the end of each stage you beat, you get like a, a gif of your character running around cleaning it, mm. doing all the weird stuff that entails, and they show that stuff off in the credits. Yeah. Uh, all of them. And that's like, oh, it's a nice touch. And then and you got like a stinger at the end that's a fun little nod to a, a storyline that's been happening throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a, a very fun, chill game that uh, uh, people should definitely check out if they're into that kind of stuff. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a a game that people should definitely check out um, if you need something that's just chill. Because power washing is something that you know, homeowners have said for a long time, it's like, oh yeah, just kind of chill out and just clean stuff, except you don't have to own a very loud machine uh, that can destroy your property if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. This game does not take itself that seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really fun to see how some of the areas go from being just uh, dirt-covered messes to some really cool-looking areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the the subway system looks really cool once you're done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can definitely tell they sort of improved on that stuff as they mm-hmm. went along. So the early stuff doesn't really shine too much as you beat it, mm-hmm. as you clean it off, but the later stuff does a really good job of looking really cool when you're done with it. So, yeah, it's probably watching me. That's my number one that made our number nine overall mm-hmm. uh, for that. And yeah, you've played that too, Brandon. Yeah. Um, I also really loved it. Um, it did not make my top 10. Not because I didn't enjoy it. It was a lot of fun, um, and I especially love the last level of that game, even though that last level was very intimidating at first um, because yeah. it's literally, like, the largest, like, surface area that you've had to cover in that game at that point. Um, yeah. And it's got, like, both exterior and interior parts that you have to clean. Um, yep. But it does ultimately... Um, end very satisfactorily and it was just it was it was it was a very whimsical funny game that also just happened to have a honestly very satisfying game mechanic that it centered around but um yeah my number one game and the chain echoes did not make my number one for this year was honestly it was there was really no contest uh it was elden ring um yeah elden ring came out earlier this year basically completely overshadowed everything that came out afterwards. Um, uh, you know, the, the, this game became a phenomenon and basically everybody playing it, everybody and their mother, frankly, um, including people that typically don't play uh, from software games or Souls-like games, because Souls-like games, you know, if you're not in the right headspace for them, they can really get on your nerves very quickly. Um, yeah. The sort of basic game mechanics based around them, like if you're not used to them, um, you know, it just, it's, it, it, it'll completely just turn you off playing them. What From Software, though, did this time around is, well, for one thing, they made some minor changes to the formula that, made the game actually more accessible and arguably even easier, Um, which I know for a lot of people, that's like, how can this game possibly be considered easy? Compared to, like, the Dark Souls games, this game is definitely easier. Um, 
part of what makes it good is that it took um, all of the sort of lessons from like all of the three major, you know, games that from soft, you know, franchises that from software has put in this sort of formula up to this point. You've got the sort of overall like defensive combat of the, you know, the the center of like defensive combat and parrying of the Dark Souls games. You have the rewarding aggression um, that you get from Bloodborne, and you have the stealth uh, gameplay from Sekiro. Um, it also is like it's the first major example I've encountered of a game with like a like a open world that actually looks like a place that. Like, it doesn't look haphazard at all. Everything seems constructed and deliberate and lived in. Every nook and cranny feels like it's got a story to tell. Um, the actual game is like, like yeah, there is a plot. You know, the game will sort of carry you towards it, but it teaches you some lessons through its gameplay pretty early on to tell you that you don't really want to just go the linear path because not only will it be almost intolerably difficult if you do and you're new to this, but the there's a lot of stuff in this game you'll miss if you just do the narrative, you know, the linear stuff. You know, you can go and pick a direction and it's very possible you'll find like a new enemy or a hidden dungeon or a different kind of weapon or something. You know, um, literally just every strip of land in the in this game has adventure around the corner. And, you know, uh, keep in mind, and this is this with at the same time having the whole thing where it's like every even the most minor can tear you to shreds if you're not careful. Um, you know, if you lower your guard and, you know, all that stuff, it was just. It was legitimately incredible. Um, it was damn near. It, it, I have very rarely encountered a game that is almost perfection, and Elden Ring is absolutely one of those examples. The only reason it's not, I don't consider it perfect, is because one minor gripe, and that's the fact that it's really inconsistent with the fall damage. Um, the game is a lot more generous this time around with fall damage because you can actually jump in this game, which is something you couldn't do in past, you know, from software games of this kind. But the trade-off is that, you know, because it, it, there's more vertical stuff and there's more verticality, but the trade-off is because you're being asked to do that, the game isn't really consistent with, like, how much, um, you know, how how high you fall and how much damage that'll actually take you. Um, the yeah. sort of now the good thing is because of the way the game works, when you're starting out, you don't really have to worry that much about like losing, you know, well, for lack of a better souls or whatever, because you know the game is training you to sort of it, it is using its sort of early portions to train you on how this game works. Um, one of the first enemies you encounter in this game is literally something you that is almost impossible to fight um, and beat when you're starting out. It's not impossible. You can do it if you have, you know, the tenacity and you're a veteran in these games. But if you're not, 
it'll basically wipe you out in one or two hits. And that's basically the game teaching you to say, you don't necessarily want to fight every single thing you encounter right away. You want to take time. You want to take your time to explore, to find other weapons, to sort of get around this world and get a feel for it before you decide to go all gung-ho into something. But yeah, and then there's the lore and the world building and just, it, it, it was amazing. It was legitimate, amazing, amazing. Um, and yeah, that was that's why it was my number one. Yeah, it's it's a fun game. It did not make my list mainly because, well, it was it was very much explained in the Steam replay year end thing, yeah. uh, where it showed uh, uh, what was it? It had some funny thing to it, where it's like, ah, oh, you were obsessed with this game and all this, and then it showed mm-hmm. me playing it from. Uh, when it launched in February to March, and then nothing after that. Yeah. Just like, okay, game, uh, or, or Steam, you have this weird narrative you want to f- put for everybody that played this game, and I mm-hmm. did not play for the last nine months of the year. Mm-hmm. Not because it's bad or anything, just because I got sidetracked with other things, and uh, Souls games can be the kind of game where you think about, like, oh, I should get back to that, but you're like, all right, so what was I doing? Where... Would I go, mm-hmm. you know, what I work towards? Has the performance got any better because I'm on the PC version? Yeah. Have they, you know, fixed any of that stuff that made it weird early on for PC uh, and all this? And you just, like, work your way out of wanting to play it mm-hmm. uh, whenever I thought about it. Uh, so, yeah, when I did the the video for the overall top 10, uh, that was the first time I had booted up since March 10th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fun thing is when I booted it up, the game was like, uh, due to inappropriate things you've done, uh, you cannot play this online anymore. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I've only weird. updated the game. Yeah. And so I had to go. I looked it up, and the 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 suggestion was to. So there's this thing with Steam games, Brandon, uh, mm-hmm. where sometimes they just bug out and the files break for whatever reason. You have to go and yeah. have it verify the local files. And it's like, oh, there's some shit's fucked up here we'll just re-download yeah. these files and that's what i had mm-hmm. to do and then it was fine yeah but like i just only let it update for the past you know several months so mm-hmm. i had not done anything it was like you've been messing with the files like no i haven't what? wow uh, so that was like a weird thing that it bugged out and then i played it i was like oh yeah this is why i didn't play because it, it runs like shit yeah uh and it had been uh so the nvidia thing uh mm-hmm lets you they have like oh here's a preferred settings and it runs at like 1400 by 831 and i'm like what the fuck is this resolution i did not realize i had it in that mode mm-hmm. but it was that sort of thing where i was like looking at it's like wait did they do anything here to make it run better it's like not really it's i gotta mess with all these settings and all this i just like ah oh, screw this mm-hmm. i'll just play it and i i was up near this area in the the starting area where uh, or not in the starting area, but there's the the big landmass that you start in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a part somewhere nearby where you get this. Uh, uh, there's a beach with like a big uh, weird tentacle monster in it, mm-hmm. uh, and I was nearby that. And I went up to this castle that uh, when you get close to it, there's these dudes on the the big arrow thing shooting at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple enemies there that are also trying to get in. Uh, that are doing their thing and they're getting shot at. So I just managed to, this is me being cold. I managed to kill them. I ran in, 
there's a bunch of guys hanging around the entrance mm-hmm. uh, that I managed to kill. And this big dude just comes out. I'm like, nope, nope, running away, running away. Mm-hmm. It chased after me. I managed to kill it by, mm-hmm. uh, you were talking about jumping being a big paradigm because like you could kind of have a jump mm-hmm. in the other games, but it was like uh, a running dodge, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would just hold your run and like hit it again to dodge and you would kind of do a jump. So that's how people would jump around in the Souls games. Mm. Uh, but having to jump here so that, you know, if t- enemies try to do horizontal low attacks, you can, like, jump uh, mm-hmm. out of the way or jump away from enemies, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, managed to beat him. So I was like, all right, I did something on this video instead of just fucking around for 10 minutes or whatever mm-hmm. uh, that I do for most of the videos. So that was... Uh, a fun time, but I ended up just buying it on PlayStation. But like, it will probably run better here, more consistently, because mm-hmm. uh, I've run up to the point where new games, uh, at least like bigger budget games, yeah, are not going to run so well on my PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll just keep to a certain level on there and stick to everything else on console. So mm. the problem was starting, uh, you know, over again after like 15 hours of knowledge of what. I've done in Elden Ring mm-hmm. is being like, okay, wait, what can I do at this point where I'm uh, a stupid little baby character mm. that has nothing I can do essentially. Yeah. So like, I know there's this, this like essentially this big area with uh, a bunch of enemies around it. I can sneak around and kill them and get easy souls out of that for a while to mm-hmm. upgrade. Uh, but it's like, Oh, there's this thing. And I found these two giants literally with a, uh, uh, a big carriage st- uh, essentially stuck to them. They stick mm. these stakes to them. And I was like following this thing around. Mm. Like, what the hell is this? I don't remember ever seeing this. So it's yeah. going towards that big encampment for the, mm. where essentially the game early on tells you you need to go. And you're like, you're probably not suited to go do that. Mm. Uh, Cause like the, there's a big area with a bunch of dudes with bows shooting at you. Mm-hmm. And a big giant drops out of the sky. Yep. Uh, from above. Uh, and that's all like, nope, this is a fucked up area, you people. All you from suffer people are just assholes. <laughs> uh, just creating this area, it's already kind of annoying because it's a bunch of people shooting bows at you as you're mm-hmm. trying to get around. It's just like, oh, this naked giant just drops right in front of you. Mm. Eventually, you work to the point where the giants aren't too bad if you, you know, stay on your guard mm. and all that. But yeah, so I'm in the early parts on PlayStation trying to be like, all right, I know there's this dragon in the swamp that I don't want to fuck with mm. for a while because that thing's just going to destroy me. Uh, so I'm exploring other areas, trying to run into places I've been. It's just having too much knowledge for what you should have early on mm. in this game. And also now there's a billion guides for like, oh, here's how to do you know, a good dexterity run or a good strength mm. run or all this. And I'm like, I should just pull up something like that. It's, Mm. And just like have something that can give me a little bit of uh, a guide for what to do instead of just fucking around for a long time. Because yeah, where I was on the PC version, I was getting to that first big boss in the that you go to early on. I forget what the name is mm-hmm. uh, that destroys you the first couple times. Tears like I should not do this because I'm not doing any damage of note. Mm-hmm. It's not like a normal boss fight. You're like. Well, if I just avoid the mistakes, I can beat them right now. Yeah. Uh, it's more like I'm not anywhere close to being able to take on this person right mm-hmm. now. So I should just go explore everywhere else mm-hmm. and find cool stuff and cool weapons and all that kind of stuff. You know, you get to that 
that weird area where it teleports you into a secret room. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like all the all the people can get into. It's yeah. like a, a hub you can meet other people at. Uh, that kind of stuff. So yeah, mm. Elden Ring's cool. Uh, I just fell off of it for a while and kind of mm. let uh, let all the weird weirdness of trying to get it back into a Souls game just yeah. convince me not to come back for a while. Until mm. I spent more money to try it again on a different platform. Because mm. yeah, the Steam Deck doesn't seem like a great place to play it. Yeah, so you have all these con- all the controls like cramped up at the top of it. It's maybe not a great place for that kind of thing to play. Uh, I also come back to it on PC, but uh, see how that goes. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Good game, but also probably not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's a nice evolution of what Breath of the Wild was doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if, you know, they wanted to get real fucking weird, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what souls are for, for all the weirdos. That, uh, but yeah, that's uh, Elden Ring. That was our number three overall. Yep. So yeah, the only ones we didn't talk about is number four, Sifu. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, Marvel Snap. And number six, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which yeah. would be all ones Dan would talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played a good bit of Sifu, and that's a really cool game. Just did not make yeah. my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that is, uh, that is it for our top ten games of the year. And we'll be hopefully... Moving on to more substantial news mm-hmm. uh, for next week as we get to uh, the rest of the year as releases start to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Persona games are out on the 19th, mm-hmm. uh, Persona 3 and 4. Uh, then Monster Hunter Rise is out on PlayStation and Xbox on the 20th. And One Piece Odyssey is coming out this week, coming up, uh, mm-hmm. I, think it, I think Friday. Uh, but we'll get a demo on Tuesday, and that'll be something that will be good to play. And they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this this game I should check out." So, right? Yeah, that is uh, that is it for the show this week. Thank you all yep. for tuning in. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely check out the games we talked about because they're all very oh, good yeah. games. Twenty twenty two was a very good year for games, as much as people like to complain that it was not. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are people that need to broaden their horizons and try out other things. Yep. Because uh, if you play indies and all that kind of stuff, there were a lot of amazing games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, as we've talked about, there's a lot of stuff coming out in the first few months. Mm. Uh, more than any of us can play. So we'll do our best to talk about them mm-hmm. uh, as best we can. So, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you have a good uh, year coming up. Uh, we'll see you all next week. If you enjoy the show, if you let friends and family know that they should check it out and select strangers mm-hmm. that will uh, wish you a good new year. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you all next time. Have a good one.